Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, October 16, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. What is that? <laughs> just good morning. That's all. <laughs> is he pouting? I know. I heard that. I heard that. What? Josh, is he You're pouting? Like, mm-hmm. Morning. <laughs> Does he not want to be at work? Yeah. Being at work's fine. Well. So what's the story? <laughs> okay. You're gonna, but, all right. Um, what's the scoop? Well, you know, the weekend, the braids are done. I mean, yeah, that, well, that's, you, yeah, that, that's it took you a week to get over that. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm over that. Okay. I'm over that. Okay. Um, no, you know, as a Gamecock fan Monday morning, I know we're going to talk a little football here. So just thought I'd get prepared. I'm just, uh, I'm a disappointed Gamecock fan. And um, well, I mean, I've, I've told you your, your braids and your Gamecocks. <laughs> oh, now they're mine. Now we'll they're continue, mine. We'll continue to lead you down the road of heartbreak and, um, and you know, Alcohol poison. Oh no! <laughs> if you are, if you aren't careful. No, and, and in all seriousness, I mean, you know, it's it's a game. You know, I, I like to win, but you know, losing doesn't ruin my day or my week. So I'm I'm okay. But you know, I I, I am interested to hear, you know, your thoughts. I mean, you've been at this a lot longer than I have. You've been going to those games. It makes me dumber than you. <laughs> just you just been doing it longer. Run, Rev. Yeah. <laughs> Run! Don't let him get you. Don't don't let them get you bleeding garnet, or you'll uh, too late. I'm afraid you'll jump off a bridge yeah. uh, one of these days. But you've Not, been doing a lot longer. Uh, and yeah. the, the old wait till next year thing, you know, of course, is uh, been a long as a long long time Gamecock fan. I know you've heard that one a lot. I, I, I've just always believed this, and and I want to go all the way back in the beginning. <laughs> in the beginning, there was a man named Samuel Tenenbaum, and Samuel Tenenbaum don't chat him still. And my father and Samuel Tenenbaum created a very intimate business relationship. Um, they were good for one another. My dad was a fledgling businessman. Uh, the tenant bombs had established themselves as, you know, the steel distributorship of the of choice down south. And Samuel would help my father cash flow. Um, in, in a startup, cash flow is tight. I mean, it gets hard at times, and steel's expensive. I mean, a truckload of steel. When you see a truck riding down the road with steel, it may not look like you got a three sixteenth plate is what we used a lot of. It doesn't look like a lot, but it's a lot of money and it's a lot of weight and it's all you can and get on one of these trucks. So Samuel was, uh, they moved Chatham County, Georgia. They moved Samuel to Columbia to start the Columbia and South Carolina uh, distribution center. And that's where we bought our steel from. So one, one day uh, I was probably six or seven uh, and I love football. I just, you know, at a very, very early age, I like football. Uh, my brother liked hunting and fishing more. I like football, baseball, basketball, any sports. I like much more. Um, and Samuel asked my father, and I was obviously not there, and I didn't make the call, but he said, hey, I get these tickets to this football game. I know Ken likes football. You want to, you know, you want to take my tickets and go. And that would have been 51 years ago. I mean, I've done the math. Wow. 51 years ago, and, and I started going to the games. And, and I, I tell people all the time, had Tenet, had Tenet Bomb been a Clemson fan, I probably would be a Tiger. I mean, in all honesty, I didn't go to USC. Nobody in my family went to USC. There was no reason to be um, you know, attached other than it was half as close, you know, half the distance from my home to Columbia to Clemson. I've always said, despite the football sucking for the last century, um, it's still only an hour and 10 minutes from my house to Williams Ross Stadium. Now it was longer than that on fair weekends, but that's the story well, for you're not for kidding. Another story. <laughs> Rev says I'm an old timer, but he won't listen to me. Josh, he will not <laughs> listen did. to me. I told Rev Friday, I said, Rev, um, there's some things I know, some things I don't know. 
But that fair complicates things, and you better give yourself a little bit of um, extra time. So he texts me. I um, hadn't arrived at the tailgate yet. He texted me and said, hey, it's backed all the way up to 77. Mm-hmm. I said, please play that message I left you <laughs> on Friday. Right. I mean, it's not that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a rocket scientist. I didn't beat it around that stadium for a long time. I've gone to many, many Columbia or games in Columbia where the fair coexisted, and it's complicated. I mean, it gets real, real. The people at the fair could care less about the ball game. People at the ball game, by and large, could care less about the fair. They all try to get where they're trying to get. And people come from all over the state to go to the ball game. But people also come from all over the state to go to the fair. Yeah, for those that aren't necessarily familiar with the area, you can get on Bluff Road off of I-77, and then you're still several miles from the stadium. Well, the traffic to to get onto Bluff Road or to take that exit was backed up on 77 to uh, where the shop road exit comes on to 77. But think about it. They can't have the traffic one way in and one way out. You know, before yeah. the game, all the traffic going to the stadium. After the game, all the traffic leaving the stadium. But you've got people going to the fair all during the day and all during the night. So you can't just shut down traffic and say, you know, hey, fair. Uh, hey, <laughs> you know, those who frequent the fair, you can only go to the fair <laughs> yeah. when, when the football game is being played. They right. can't do that. So it's always, and, and I always kind of scratch my head. I told my wife um, yesterday morning, I said, I don't know why Rev would listen to me. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand that. I mean, if I tried to say, hey, Rev, let's hook that blue wire to that red wire and see if these speakers play loud. He'd say, I'm not going to do that, man. You don't know anything you're talking about. I've been beating around up there for 51 years. Yeah. I mean, I know how it is on fair weekend. And I try to tell people, hey, I'm telling you now, if you wait on your normal routine, you're going to be frustrated, bothered, and not going to have a long time to tailgate. And if you're a Gamecock fan, you need to tailgate. Mm-hmm. You just need to partake oh, yeah. of, uh, of <laughs> a bit to. so you can. But no, I'm, I'll say this because I got. I got intimately involved yesterday in a text thread with, you know, I guess the, some some of the movers and shakers at South Carolina. I believe this with every fiber of my being. And, and I've learned over the long haul not to jump off the cliff at one game. I mean, it was a heartbreaker. They should have never lost that game. Um, it was two. You ready? There are good, bad teams and bad, good teams. Colorado's probably a bad, good team. South Carolina and Florida are good, bad teams. But they, they just don't have the players up and down the roster right now to beat really good football teams. They just don't. Um, so you had two, this is weird, you had two pretty good bad teams, you know, playing <laughs> one another. And, um, and you know, one team made a player two or three more than the other. But but I believe this. And and I think Clemson's a class example of this. And I guess here's where I kind of wish Tenenbaum had been, you know, a Clemson fan. I think Clemson understands. You ready? Coaches and ball players win ball games. Administrations win championships. I really believe that. Okay. I've always believed that. I've argued that point forcefully um, with, with people who. So, uh, so it's a basically a, a top-down well, commitment there's to There's no doubt about it. I mean, there's no that doubt about it. That makes the difference. I mean, it, when, when, the, when the Clemson trustees meet, and I know some of the Clemson trustees, because when I presided over joint sessions, they got elected to their um, tenure as a, as a Clemson board member. Um, Ambassador David Wilkins was a statewide co-chair of my campaign. I mean, he was co-chair, excuse me, chairman of the board at Clemson for many years. So I, I'd like to consider him a friend. So there's no animus in, you know, I hate Clemson. I mean, I hate them one Saturday in November. They hate me one Saturday in November. That's fine. But but I'm, I'm not in all that. The one thing that I've always respected, almost admired about Clemson, is I think they understand players and coaches win ball games, administrations build champions. The University of South Carolina will never, ever get as as good or better players than Georgia, Alabama, 
Florida, Auburn, Texas A&M, Texas, LSU. They just aren't. I mean, some reasons are obvious. Texas and Florida have more. Texas, Florida, California have more NFL players than any state in America. So they've got natural advantages. Some of the state of Florida, big football rich. Texas, big football rich. California, big football rich. So when you're in a league and you're button heads with Florida and you're button heads with Texas, Texas A&M, LSU, Alabama, I mean, it's going to be hard. It's going to be real, real, real hard. So if you can't year after year after year get better players than your peers, the teams you're trying to beat, you've got to do something different. And I think you've got to build uh, the Braves. Your your Atlanta Braves are the best example I can come up with. I mean, the Braves have about the 13th, 14th, 15th highest payroll in baseball. They don't have the money the Dodgers have. They don't have the money the Mets and Yankees have. But they've got an extraordinarily well-run organization. Forget what happened to the playoffs. I mean, that's one of these anomalies. But the Braves, over the long haul, are one of the better-run sports franchises in all of America. Very competent people tending to things. Um, Alex Andropoulos is probably as good a front office man as there is in the game of baseball. Give him the 13th highest payroll, and that son of a gun wins 104 games, and he moves pieces around. That's the administration I'm talking about. There's no doubt Ronald Acuna and Matt Olson win games, but the administration wins wins championships. So if you go into the into, into, into the season, uh, you know, when you say, okay, I've got Alabama, i got Oklahoma, i got Texas. I mean, next year they go to Tuscaloosa and, and Norman in consecutive weeks. Hello. Um, good luck with that one, but it'll be a lot of fun to say, wow, we're going to Tuscaloosa and, and, uh, and Norman in consecutive weeks. Yeah, until you go to Tuscaloosa and Norman in consecutive weeks. So, so if, if and, and, I'll go, and I'll say this about Spurrier. The reason Spurrier was successful, Spurrier could take, he, he could take good players but not great players and figure out a way to almost make them great. Now, now Spurrier called a break. Spurrier happened to be at South Carolina in a, in a three- or four-year time frame that they had really good players. Tommy Bowden was in transition at, at, uh, at Clemson. I think Dabo had gotten hired in an interim basis, so there was uncertainty and instability at Clemson. And Spurrier's a legendary coach. He walks into Marcus Lattimore's house, Jadavion Clowney's house, Alshon Jeffrey's house, um, Stephon Gilmore's house, Melvin Ingram's house, and says, hey, you know, I'm Steve Spurrier. You know, I've won championships. I'm a legendary head football coach. And for the first time in my life, we, we kind of, I'm not saying Spurrier was the administration, but he kind of was larger than life. He didn't wait on the board to do this or do that, or he didn't wait on the AD to do this or do that. I mean, he did it his way, and he knew what he was doing. But, but I, we, we've got to figure out a way at, at the University of South Carolina to convince the administration that building buildings and parking lots is not winning football programs. I mean, it's amenities, and it's nice. And the SEC money rolls in, and you plant palm trees or palmetto trees, and you create a crosswalk, and you pave the parking lots, and you've got, wow, look at the weight room. Look at the football operations building. But there's nothing about the culture that has been changed. And, I, and I, I've never been to a board meeting at Clemson. But I'll bet you at every board meeting at Clemson, at some point in time, somebody with a high regard says, how about the football team? I mean, what do they need? What, what's going on over there? I mean, I, I'm, I'm concerned about where we are. It seems we've, we've lost ground. It seems we're not as active in the NIL and transfer. Is there something we can do to make sure we don't lose our edge in football? And I think when you start talking football at the USC Board of Trustee meetings, half fall asleep. I mean, they're more interested in, hey, I'm, I'm not losing my parking spot, am I? <laughs>
I mean, I keep my tickets, don't I? I want to sit by that legislature, can't I? I mean, it's so political, and and I know that to be true. Uh, I'm a Gamecock fan. I spent some time in Columbia. I spent some time in politics, and and when the Clemson board came to Columbia, it was business. I mean, it was business, and I'm I'm not I'm not knocking board members at any at any university, but but the only way the Gamecocks can consistently win is to be overcoached. I mean, if you go into a season believing that Georgia has better players, Alabama has better players, Florida, by and large, is going to have better players, um, th- then how do, you, how do you create equality? you got, you got to out-coach them. And, and, and Beamer got hired, never been a head coach in his life. He made, I think, and I'll be critical of Shane here for a second, I think he made two bad hires. If the head coach doesn't have any Power 5 head coaching experience, you got to go find some coordinators that do. And, and I think the defense struggled enormously, and I think the defense has struggled enormously since Shane got here. And, and, and th- there aren't that bad of players. I, I've told you before, and you, you accuse me of c- kind of getting in the weeds watching football, and, that, dude, you're wearing me out, man. I don't. We, we have a kid who's probably as good a safety as there is in the SEC, Nick Animawari. I mean, he's a good player. He's a good safety. He can't cover slot receivers. Florida scores a touchdown. Who's covering the slot receiver? I mean, the, the Pearsall kid from Florida is as good as there is in college football, not just the SEC. I mean, he's top flight, first-round draft choice, and our strong safety is playing man coverage with less than a minute to go in a game. I mean, that's just that's chess, and, and, and we're just getting whipped on some of these matchups. And and once again, when you take a little bit inferior player, you got to coach them up. And if you don't, you just don't win a lot of games. And I just think they've got to get this this staff. Clemson can relate to this. I mean, Dabo's very similar to Shane. No coaching experience, never been a coordinator. But what did Dabo do? D- Dabo ran off friends. Billy Napier, head football coach at Florida was the OC at Clemson. Dabo didn't think he could do the job. Dabo replaced Billy Napier with, with you know, other guys. And, I mean, Brent Venables. I mean, don't we see now how important Venables is mm-hmm. to the Clemson program? And I, I just think, but once again, I, I'll stick to this. I think players and coaches win ball games. I think administrations win championships. And the Gamecocks are competing with programs whose administrations invest everything imaginable in winning not just ball games but rather championships. Take a break. Back in a few. I do want to add this, and then we'll go to our call in two seconds. I do want to add this. Nothing to do with the game. Well, it does have something to do with the game, and I can't speak at Clemson. I can't. I don't know about Athens. I don't have any idea about Gainesville or Knoxville or, or um, Lexington. But I know in Columbia something has happened in the last couple of years that, I mean, we waited for a long time to, to uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was debatable. Should they sell beer at college football games or not? And they experimented in Oxford, I think, did it first. And then, if I'm not mistaken, the University of Miami. I mean, that's an urban campus in a, in a, in a big city. Um, but, but I'll tell you what's happened, guys. Uh, and I, once again, I can't speak to Clemson. I can't speak to – I can only speak in Columbia. There are about five, six, eight thousand people going to games every day. And in the bowels of Williams-Brice Stadium now, there are lounges. I mean, there really are. I mean, there's always been this, you know um, – seating arrangement in some of the executive clubs where, you know, you walk out on the terrace and you got a seat and right behind that's a glass wall. Now they've got these, I mean, they're, they're, they're separate of the seats. In other words, 
There are certain places where people pay a lot of money behind a glass. You can watch the game. But they built these lounges under the stadiums that you have no access at all to the game. I mean, there is no sight line. There is no way. you got to walk out of your seat, go down a little hall, walk into this, you know, place that sits 10,000, and it's beer cooler after beer cooler after beer cooler. It's 40-ounce, you know, $11 beer. And I'm telling you, there's about six or 8,000 people every game not watching any football. I mean, it's their prerogative. They can do what they choose to do. But when you look in the um, in some of these seating areas, and I know the correlation between, okay, that area has access to those, the horseshoe club, the gridiron club, you know, the the cockpit, the cockaboose club, blah, 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 blah. It's a way to generate revenues, all this. A money grab is what it is. But what has happened is about, you know, five to 10,000 people every Saturday are choosing drinking over football. They could care less about the football game, and um, and you, you kind of sit in a seat. You know this is a pretty expensive seat. I mean, I know what they cost, and you're sitting there in that seat, and uh, my daughter and I sat together Saturday, and I'm looking around going, okay, there's um, there's 18 seats on this row. 12 don't have anybody in. They're back in that lounge drinking beer, man. I mean, that's where they are, yeah. spending 300 bucks on you know a six-pack. And, uh, and the university generating enormous revenue. But it hurts the game day experience. I mean, it really does. If you've got eight or 10,000 people that go to the game but don't go to the game and uh, and you go back during halftime to try to find a table to sit at, and they're, I mean, it's like table dancing. I mean, this is the craziest thing <laughs> you've ever seen. Anyway, that's just kind of my rant. And and I don't have any idea what it's like at other places. I got to believe that Gamecock fans ain't the only one that choose alcohol over the football product at times. But um, but it's just, I, I don't like that. I mean, it, it, it's an NFL field. And I think college has or should have a different ambiance than the um, than the National Football League. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Verd in Marlborough County. Thanks for holding on through our football talk there, Verd. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, yeah, not a good weekend for the Gamecocks, but a great weekend for the National Republican Party. Uh, Jeff Landry in Louisiana, the Attorney General, he uh, won the uh, election uh, Saturday. Uh, 14 candidates running. Uh, Wilson, the Democrat, was second place, but uh, – Landry doubled up on him with about 53% of the vote. And I guess one time we'll listen to the crooked media. They said this was going to be a bellwether uh, election for the Republican Party and the Democratic Party to see who's going to look good in uh, 2024. And it uh, looks like we came out on top. I think Landry had uh, 400 and nearly 50,000 50, votes, almost uh, 500,000 votes uh, versus about 250 for uh, Wilson, the Democrat. So. Just a great weekend for the Republicans to start the 2024 season. Thank you, Verd. Appreciate that. 843. Verd, you still there? No, he's not there. I wanted to find out when is the Virginia election? I mean, I, that's in, is that a couple of three weeks from now? I mean, I think it is. Mm-hmm. I think the Virginia midterms are something that um, Glenn Youngkin, uh, a well thought of and highly sought after governor of Virginia, is trying to flip Virginia red. And some are saying this is a bellwether. This is something to pay uh, really close attention to. Uh, I don't know. And and I didn't. I mean, I knew LSU. Excuse me. I knew LSU. I knew Louisiana. Yeah. Louisiana's a state in LSU. <laughs> if you're an SEC fan, it's not, it's not. Um, is there another city in Alabama other than Tuscaloosa? <laughs> you know, is, um, yeah, Auburn. You're right. There's, there's yeah. another city in, in Alabama. <laughs> and then you got two cities in Texas, College Station and Austin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyway, eight four three six six one 
0937 <laughs> is our number. I'm just thinking your your world does revolve around college football. Well, I mean, it, 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 it gets in your blood, man. I mean, it, it becomes a part of a. And I'm not. I mean, I'm past the point, and I mean this sincerely. Uh, there was a day the Gamecocks losing goofed my entire weekend up, and I, I just outgrew that. I mean, I, I'm not. I mean, if if you're one of those people, then get therapy. I mean, do, do it sooner than later. It's a game. It's college kids. I don't know what side of the bed they woke up on. I don't know if their girlfriend's angry with them or not. I don't know if they care enough or not. I mean, it's so, so I just decided I'm, I'm as big a Gamecock fan as there is, and I'm I, I'll probably go until the day I die. But but them ruling my weekend, you know what I mean, and me waiting uh, with bated breath as to whether if they win this game, I'm going to have a good week. If they lose this game, I'm going to have a terrible week. You know, I, <laughs> it's not worth it. Um, to me, I want to win as bad as anybody, but when it's over, it is what it is. And you try to wake up and, you know, or go to bed, wake up and do your thing that week and try to have a good time uh, the following Saturday. It's still a lot of fun. I mean, it's a lot of fun for me. And, um, and uh, you know, you if you're a Gamecock fan, you, you kind of feel like you're too behind, or I do. I mean, I feel like the North Carolina game was a toss-up game. You felt you had a good chance to win. Now, North Carolina's been proven to be better than we – I mean, we knew they'd be pretty good, but they may be real good. I mean, North Carolina may have a real good football team this year, um, but the Florida game at home is the one that you – I mean, that's inexcusable. You're up 10 with four minutes to go. Um, here's a, here's a kind of a question for you, Rev. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was not at the stadium when all that happened. I was on my way back <laughs> home. I know this. I'll leave early. Yeah. And people say, you leave early. It was my ticket. I'll leave when I want to. It's your ticket. You leave when you want to. Um, but anyway, um, the – the Florida game was the game that I felt good about because Florida had struggled on the road so much, you know, and I just didn't see a lot of energy there. Uh, I felt the Gamecocks a week off could kind of sort of get some footing back. But, I mean, the Missouri game's winnable. A&M probably not. But, you know, it's about time for Missouri to lay an egg. Uh, they're pretty good but not real good. But they're playing real good. So so when a team is pretty good but not real good and playing real good, you kind of have one of these back-to-earth um, sorts of games. I'll tell you a game I'm interested in this weekend, Clemson at Miami. I mean, as a college football mm-hmm. fan, that's a very interesting game to me. Clemson's better than Miami, but Miami's good enough. I mean, they're, they're good enough that you got to be careful with. So that's a game that I find um, compelling this weekend. I want to do this. Let's get back on the, uh, the politics of America today. Um, Josh, let's take our break. I want to come back and I want to um, Lindsey Graham on Meet the Press yesterday. I mean, what, what did Bree say last week? If a man tells you what he's going to do, you better listen, right? I mean, when Amos says we're going to kill Jews and kill Americans, you better take them at their word. Um, Lindsey Graham said it. I mean, basically, you know, we want to cut the money off. I mean, that's a, a very direct and specific way of saying, you know, we're going after Iran. He's the only person thus far that I've heard on the record, and I'm talking about a, a big influence, and uh, so, so let's play that. We'll get back to about a minute and 40 seconds, and then we'll kind of uh, we'll go down the road of where we stand in this, um, this very controversial era and age in American politics. Back in a few. I'll ask you about Iran, Senator, the broader region, of course. You said this week that the only way to keep the war from escalating is to hold Iran accountable, part yes. of what you're talking about now, <laughs> and that it might mean bombing their oil refineries. Yeah. Have you had any discussions with the Biden administration about this? A, a bit. Uh, I want to applaud President Biden for his strong statement in support of Israel. I just got off the phone to the Israelis. 
Uh, their goal is to destroy Hamas in the South and try to save as many innocent Palestinians as possible to prevent escalation north from Hezbollah. Here's my message. If Hezbollah, which is a proxy of Iran, launches a massive attack on Israel, I will consider that a threat to the, um, to, to the state of Israel existential in nature. I will introduce a resolution in the United States Senate to allow military action by the United States in conjunction with Israel to knock Iran out of the oil business. Iran, if you escalate this war, we're coming for you. Are you effectively poised to declare war on Iran? That's very strong language. I, I am poised to use military force to destroy the source of funding for Hamas and Hezbollah. The idea that Iran read about this operation in the paper or on television is laughable. 93% of Hezbollah and Hamas's money comes from Iran. They're the source of the problem. They're the great evil. So. If Hezbollah escalates against Israel, it will be because Iran told them to. Then, Iran, you're in the crosshairs of the United States and Israel. Let me. There you Whoa. go. I am poised to use military force to destroy the source of funding for Hamas and Hezbollah. The majority of the world believes that is Iran. Lindsay, you lost me there. I mean, I am in no way, shape, or form remotely close. Now, newsflash. When they make these big decisions, Lindsay's in the room and yours truly is not. I don't know what sort of consensus there is, but I read that yesterday. I actually went back and watched it just, uh, last night. I am poised to use military force to destroy the source of funding for Hamas and Hezbollah. That is the most important statement I've heard from somebody who has a tremendous impact or influence on what we do or do not um, Do you think and, he speaks with any sort of because he's he's one U.S. senator. He is not in the administration, but obviously he's an important voice. You think that that message is authorized? Well, I mean, that, 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 there, I, I <laughs> by believe the administration, this. I mean, I, for you know, example. Josh mentioned um, last week the Israeli lobby. Um, I mean, you know, the Jewish lobby. I mean, I think yeah, the Jewish lobby uh, has probably led Lindsay into believing that this is, and you don't have to twist his arm. I mean, Lindsay's Hulk. With all due respect, I mean, you know, and Lindsey's right on some things and he's wrong on some things. Um, but I think when um, when Welker said, "Are you effectively poised to declare war on Iran?" Uh, I'm poised to use military force to destroy the source of funding for Hamas and Hezbollah. That is the great escalation. I mean, that that is when this is. Um, I mean, it's no longer about the Palestinians and the Jews and the Gaza Strip or the West Bank. I mean, this is the Middle East again. I mean, this is. You know, I guess the um, the Islamic world versus, uh, you know, America or the Western world led by America forces. I don't have any idea what the public's appetite is, um, but we knew this question had to be considered at some point in time because the majority of us believed that. And I mean, I, I don't dispute any of that. I mean, I don't doubt a bit that Iran is the funding source for Hezbollah and Hamas. Um, but to what degree America is going to become involved? Um, Lindsay says that, you know, I mean, he basically argues boots on the ground. I mean, he's saying in conjunction with, with the Israelis, you know, we're going to try and destroy the source of funding for Hamas and Hezbollah. Okay. I mean, here we go. I mean, that, that this would be another, what, decade, decade and a half in the Middle East. Um, uh, some people, very smart uh, folks about, national security and global uh, security believe that Iran 
kind of, kind of I mean, Iran may have leaned on Hamas to do something like this because it seemed as the Israelis and Saudi Arabians were a, a little more close to making some sort of um some sort of uh, arrangement, uh, coexisting arrangement, living in harmony and peace. I mean, not complete harmony and complete peace. That's unattainable. That's not the case in, I mean, how many young people died in Chicago this weekend? I mean, I'm betting a bunch. I don't know. I've not seen uh, the report yet, but I would imagine um, Chicago had another, you know, weekend of young men and uh, young African-American men in particular being slaughtered in the streets. Um, that seems to be a weekly occurrence. So, I mean, there is no, there is no uh, heaven on earth. But but Iran seems to have um, escalated their involvement because Saudi Arabia and, you know, and here's what we don't know, guys. And I've tried my best to understand this. I, I'm not Islamic. I don't know this interpretation of the Quran or Sharia law. You know, uh, I mean, I, the, the majority of these, these, these countries that support terrorism and give terrorists safe haven, I mean, they're, 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 by and large, Sharia law extremist. I mean, they, they, they buy into Sharia law as the, I guess, the interpretation of, of their faith. I mean, it would be a little bit traditional Christian, um, you know, um, uh, help me here. I'll, I mean, a legalistic Christian. I mean, you know, their, their, their sex in our religion, uh, strains, veins in our religion that have some disagreements. We, we had a, kind of a day-long debate last week about inherency of Scripture. You know, do you believe that or not? And, uh, you know, is there is that loosely interpreted or is it God-inspired uh, or a little of both? You know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. But, um, but it seems to me that Lindsay has had multiple conversations with people that will or will not pull the trigger. Um, but that's kind of a, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a, a statement of initiation as far as I'm concerned. And I mean, there, there's a reason if Lindsay didn't want to say that, guess what? He would have never gone on meet the press. I mean, he would have declined because they know Lindsay's a hawk. I mean, they know he's more inclined than anybody in Washington to aggressively try and address the funding source. So for Lindsay to come on there, I mean, he knew well what he was going to say and how he was going to couch it and, and, and say it, you know, I don't have any idea. I've not seen any polling on the American people. I mean, I really don't, I don't know. How many Americans? Here would be an interesting question. Um, do you think the Israelis have a right to defend themselves? Of course. I mean, do you think the Israelis have a right to go into, um, you know, Gaza and root out Hamas? Of course. Um, do you know Iran or do you believe that Iran is the majority funder of what's happened uh, with Hamas and Hezbollah? I, I just think that's where you lose people. I don't think the majority of Americans understand um the coordination that Iran has with um, Hamas and Hezbollah, but I am in no way, shape, or form. I mean, I have in no way, shape, or form changed my mind. I mean, I still, you know, the the, the I read something over the weekend about um, SEAL Team Six, and there's a couple of other very exclusive and elite fighting teams that have been redeployed. They're not where they're supposed to be. I mean, I read something. I think yesterday, Reb, that believe it or not, there's this elite Coast Guard team, extremely elite, and they 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 normally station out of somewhere in New Jersey, and they're not there any longer. So some of the locals are saying, "Well, I mean, to wonder where they are." Well, well they weren't at the Carolina football game. I can assure you of that. <laughs> but I don't have any idea. Um, what did we say last week? Six thousand. I mean, don't we have about six thousand what I'd call elite fighting forces? 
that are ready to be deployed at a moment's notice. Do we have any of those people in Israel today? I don't know. Don't have any idea. I heard over the weekend that there were multiple credible threats against resources, a resource in South Carolina, that being the South Carolina port. I mean, I heard that the, the heightened security uh, uh, raised awareness about the port of South Carolina, the port of Savannah, the port of Wilmington, obviously the port of New York. Um, you know, that that's where a lot of the, uh, I don't know, businesses is. Um, I did see the statement by the FBI director about there being enhanced threats sure. potentially inside and, and, our country. And you would expect that. But, but, you know, the 6,000 elite fighting forces that are part of the American military that aren't where they historically have been, where are they? I mean, where are they? Where, where do you stand, Josh, Ray? where do you stand on deploying American forces, these elite forces, Navy SEAL Team 6, kind of a rescue team, where do you stand in them having to go to Israel to try and rescue American hostages? There are American hostages well, I mean, there. Okay, I mean that you know that's yeah. it. That, that's but it's still you know it's um it's boots on the ground in the Middle East. Right. Take a break. Back in a few. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Seems like this. We, we owe this guy a paycheck. I mean, he's with us nearly <laughs> every single day. We broadcast to give us an update on the House Speaker elections. Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmales in our nation's capital. Ryan, good morning. How are you? Oh, good morning. I mean, it looks like I might be doing this over and over and over again. <laughs> it's Groundhog Day with I, Ryan Schmelz. I, I, I don't know if Jim Jordan's going to have the votes, so we'll see. Well, I mean, the latest proposal that I've, or the latest rumor, is that some moderate members of the GOP may cut a deal with the Democrats if the Republicans don't can't stop getting in their own way. What What do you make of that? Yes. Yes, and we do, but we don't know what specifically that would look like just yet because we are hearing that a lot of the holdouts are considering uh, offering up another candidate who uh, could be on the floor Tuesday when they're expected to have this vote. Now, of course, you've had Democrats teasing this and you've had Republicans teasing this, but what does this look like? Does it mean that you have a couple of Republicans cross over and vote for Hakeem Jeffries, thus making him speaker? Or do you have some Democrats crossing over and voting for more of a centrist candidate uh, to beat out Jim Jordan? All of them are possible. But until they put that, uh, you know, out there and truly say that's what we're going to do, we just don't know what specifically their plan is going to look like. Ron, how close is Jordan? Uh, So on the secret ballot that came out on Friday, he had 55 no votes for him to become speaker. This is not voting for the other candidate. These are 55 people and one voting present who said they are not voting for Jordan. So he has a long way to go to get those people on board. Now, we understand he was working all weekend long. He had a team of wranglers who were making phone calls on his behalf, trying to get some of those holdouts to flip their vote. But whether or not he has flipped enough of them to make it work, it's still a question mark because you still have a couple of members who are the only Kevin club. You know, you have the Never Trump club, and now you have the only Kevin club, as in they want Speaker McCarthy back in the gavel seat. But then you also have a number who say that they might be nominating somebody else on Tuesday. So it looks like this is still a long road for Jordan. And and it looks to me that Wednesday could be a pivotal day. Is that fair? Uh, possibly. I, I mean, I think we just need to see how Tuesday goes first. Okay. We're expecting the vote to be around noon uh, and whether or not we, we, we end up in a sa- the same situation we end up in in uh, January. I think that's what that I don't know. 
It just I think we need to get through Tuesday, and then anything could happen on Wednesday if, if we still don't have a speaker. Well explained. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate your time. Hey, have a good one, guys. Thank you. I just feel like as much as we're talking about Israel and Hamas and Hezbollah, we still owe it. I mean, we're 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 in. I mean, I'm telling you guys, I mean, I, I, the Republicans are hurting themselves. I mean, it really looks like you know it, they just don't have. Um, I wrote something down this morning. You know, it seems to me that the the Republicans in the House love being the opposition party and don't know how to handle being in charge. Well, for example, when's the last time you heard anything about the impeachment inquiry? Yeah. Into well, I mean, they're, they're, you know, we're, Joe we're, Biden. Well, I mean, you got to have some consensus here. You got to have a sense of leadership and where uh, the caucus is headed. And right now, I mean, and I've said this before, it's it's easy to oppose things. I mean, it's I oppose what Lindsey Graham says with every fiber of my being. Okay, w- what do you propose? I mean, if you oppose that, what do you propose? I mean, if you believe that Iran funds Hezbollah and Hamas, what do you propose? Just to keep letting them fund, you know, Hamas and Hezbollah? You, you see where I'm headed? I mean, it's real easy to be opposed to certain things. I oppose this, and I don't like that, and and I stand against this. Okay, um, what do you support? What do you stand for? And it looks to me the majority of Republicans in the House are having a hard time being for something. That they're they're very much at home being opposed to what Pelosi is trying to do, or opposed to what Akeem Jeffries is trying to do, or opposed to what those liberal Democrats are trying to be and do. Well, I mean, what are you for? I mean, wh- wh- where do you want to take the country? Um, you know, if not McCarthy, if not Jordan, if not Scalise, who who can create somewhat of a vision of what some of the policy priorities need to be and where we need to take America? And it just seems to me they have enormous struggles when it comes to that. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. You're on. God, aren't they just pathetic, Ken? I mean, aren't they just really, truly pathetic? But I'll tell you, you've seen pictures of World War II and even Vietnam, Korean War veterans. They don't look like rambos. So when I'm telling you, when I'm talking tough, I'm not talking 300-pound powerlifters, right? But what I'm saying is, it really chaps my butt when uh, a big sissy like Lindsey Graham talks tough. Because he'll never fight. And, of course, you know he don't have no kids. They'll never fight. So all these people talking about fights are people that are never going to fight. And that just kind of chaps my behind. But I tell you, uh, getting back to the threat, you know, I was fortunate enough to know a lot of these guys just actually through Sornex when I would go to these uh, seminars. And there were a lot of retired Navy SEALs and some active Navy SEALs. Um, I know one guy that was retired sergeant major with the Delta Force, and you and I have a few mutual guys. And, uh, yeah, they were all talking about uh, a high, uh, what he called is a uh, credible threat for Miami, Charleston, and New York. But also I was talking to a good friend of mine, and you know his family, and, you know, and he said he works for the federal government, and uh, he was at the federal building in Charleston. And they were on a heightened state. And also the Coast Guard, I was told, uh, by him was really patrolling the harbor. So the people that I'm talking to, and, you know, listen, don't mistake me for some kind of big, well, anyway, the bottom line is I just happened to know them through weightlifting, no other reason. But they all seem to think, kids, unfortunately, it's not a matter of if, brother, it's when. You know, and I pray that it isn't a win, but they, they all seem to, to think that, uh, listen, man, do the math. 
coming through. What's one percent of five thousand kids? Is that fifty thousand? I think you're right. There you go, son. That's kind of tell me. You know, you can be tough. You know, I mean, there you go, man. If they got, if they, if they have, and I hate to, here's the, the killer. It seems like a lot of times they, I mean, they, they only got to be right once. But I mean, but there you go, man. Uh, we better be thinking real seriously about what we're going to do here. I mean, could you imagine 20 or 30 people? Then Eric will get you inside the stadium. Eric would have taken with 10 people with the dang old Remington pump shotgun where you were Saturday. Man, they could have, I mean, it would have been bad, kid. You know, and, uh, I don't know what we need to do. I know we need to pray. But I tell you, uh, we're in some tough situations. And unfortunately, I don't see a leader on either side of the party. I tell you, Ken, I'd feel more comfortable knowing you were the president and you had four or five of your best buddies trying to figure this thing out. And, I, and when I say you, it could be a, a dozen other people I know like you. We don't have anybody leading us that's worth a crap. You know, we just don't. I don't have any confidence in Lindsey Graham, and you'd be a fool to have any confidence in anybody in the Democrat Party and most all Republicans. Who in the heck do we have confidence in to lead us through these tough times? And like you say, who has come more from a proposal to straighten any of this stuff out? And even if we do get this squared away, all of this stuff with the Palestinians and the Israelis, we've still got all the same problems we had two weeks ago. Thank you, Breeze. Well, I mean, let's, let's do Rev wanted me to console him this morning about Rev knows that I'm an older hand at Gamecock football than he is. And I, and I wrote something down cause I knew Rev would be, um, you know, in, in the abyss. I mean, he'd be at the, the edge of the cliff about to jump mm-hmm. off. Uh, I, I think I talked to him back a little bit, but, um, did. I mean, it, I, I said this and, and I believe this coaches and players win ball games, administrations win championships. So let's take that Josh and let's apply it to government. The one thing, the one revelation, I was suspicious of this, and I think we all would, I'm not surprised by that, but all of a sudden we've seen it live and in living color. If players and coaches win ball games, but administrations win championships, where is the, the administration for the federal government coming from? The most elite universities. Where have we seen more sympathy for Hamas and Hezbollah than the elite universities? I mean, if you go to the bar in Pamplico, you don't sense a lot of sympathy. I mean, I don't know that they understand the geopolitics, but if you ride to the river yesterday afternoon and ask some good old boys about what's happening in the world around them, they would say, well, I mean, you got to kill Hamas and Hezbollah. Well, I mean, all of a sudden, it's, it's, it's you know, both-siderism. Remember when Trump said, you know, there are good people on both sides, and he was condemned to the nth degree mm-hmm. for saying that January 6th, I mean, they were all terrorists and, insur- you know, insurrectionists. Well, all of a sudden now, we've got one side that killed infant babies, beheaded, you know, small children, but there's good people on both sides. Really? Right. right. There aren't good people in both sides. I mean, Ukraine, uh, all Ukrainians are good, all Russians are bad. All um, so-called insurrectionists are bad, and everybody trying to stop that was good. So we've got this absolutism until it comes to cutting babies' heads off and, and, and riddling, you know, small children with bullets. All of a sudden, well, there are good people on both sides. Well, 
my, my concern is where these people who are being entrusted with enormous power and influence over our government, where are these people coming from? I mean, they're not coming from Francis Marion. They're not coming from Coastal Carolina. They're not coming from Newberry or USC or Clemson. I mean, the, the overwhelming, and we've done bits on this before, the overwhelming of people, the overwhelming majority of people who run our government and are in charge at administrative and executive levels, they are coming from these elite universities. And where have we seen uh, the, the, the most, most cider-ism? Most of these elite universities. We've seen faculty and students, and these are America's leaders. I mean, these are the people that will at some point in time be, you know, in the bowels of the State Department and the Defense Department and the DOJ, and they'll be the ones making these very important critical decisions on behalf of the American government. And, and that's the only place I've seen where there's both siderism uh, being said. I, I, I've said it. I'll stand by these comments. Um, I don't think every Palestinian hates Jews. I don't think every Jew hates Palestinians. The only people that have gone on the record and said death to anybody who doesn't, uh, you know, abide is Hamas and Hezbollah and some of these terrorist organizations. So, so to breeze this point, where is the common ground? I mean, where, where do we go from here? How willing is America? How, um, how much is America willing to be involved in? No, nobody believes for a second that there aren't super sales or sleeper sales in America today. Josh doesn't know. I don't know. Rev doesn't know. You don't know. How many? Is there, is there 10 sleeper sales, 100, 1,000, 10,000? I don't have any idea. How many card-carrying members of Hamas or Hezbollah are in the United States? I mean, Josh, if you had a guess, what would you say? I mean, just off um, the cuff. I mean, if I, if I said, hey, Josh, how many people in America do you believe? And I'm using card-carrying as kind of a, um, just a um, and for, sin, for, for, for effect. Um, but but how, many, how many people in America do you believe ascribe to the notions of Hamas and Hezbollah, death to America, death to Israel, death, death to the Western world, death to Judeo-Christian values? Uh, probably a lot. Those who would pro- like commit terror attacks, maybe a couple hundred. You think mm. there's only a couple of hundred people in America? I'd say. That would commit terror <clears throat> attacks. Okay. You think there's a lot of anti-American sentiment? Yes. A lot of anti-Israeli sentiment. But you don't think they have the guts? Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So the 200, the couple of hundred you say that you believe would involve themselves in a terror attack come from a pool of how many? Maybe uh, north of 100,000. Okay. okay. I disagree with you on the the 200. I don't disagree with you on the north of 100,000. I mean, I think. My numbers are probably half a million and 20 to 40,000. You think there are half a million? Um. Illegal aliens in America today. Well, maybe not be illegal. I bet mean, somebody right. follow yeah, the pro- yeah. I didn't distinguish. You believe there's half a million people in America who wish to not participate, but would 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 who would, are would support. So there you yeah. go. Sympathize yeah. would be a better word. Yeah, I saw some protests that uh, you know over the last week or so. Right? You see the people that have come out publicly. Think about the people that don't come out publicly. And, and you think in the in the twenties of thousands, in the teens of thousands people who would participate in a in an organized terrorist attack. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. I, I don't know. No, yeah, just, just a guess. The just scary a part is, is Josh closer to accurate or is Rev closer to accurate? You know the scary part? We don't know. Right. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Barry in Chirag. Morning, Barry. 
Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Kim, we have to do something about the southern border. I, I know people don't like to hear it and believe that this, you know, kids are just coming through the southern border. There's nothing but males coming through the southern border. We have to do something now. 100,000 a month in all the border entries is coming through. We cannot sustain that when it does go down. It's going to happen, just like Bree said with his friends, my friends. It's going to happen. I mean, I hate it. I pray against it. But we cannot. The Darien Gap in Panama, I keep coming back to this. They're building two bridges in the dry season that will, that will hold a million a month. Every country in the world is sending their worst people to the Darien Gap in Panama. So a million people a month coming through the Darien Gap. Kim, we can't sustain that. This is a UN slash US problem that they're creating on purpose through NGOs and nobody's talking about it. I don't I can't I can't fan we're we're I get worried about Israel. If we fall, Israel falls. So if we get attacked I'm all American first now. I mean, I used to not be this way, but I'm all American first. So what are we doing about the southern border? I, I, I hear nothing in the news about it, nothing. Terrorists are coming through the southern border left and right, and we're not doing anything about it. So I just think we need to beat that drum a little bit. I know the, the conflict in the Middle East. I get that. I, I'm, I'm with it. We need to worry about what's going on here. They're coming through the southern border, people. And if you don't know, I mean, you need to prepare for what's coming because it's coming through the southern border. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Barry. Barry made an interesting point, and I've read a lot about this. Why do you believe, Josh, I'll ask you, why do you believe the majority of people coming from some of these underdeveloped countries are men? I mean, why are the majority young males? I mean, I've got a theory. I mean, from, from, from some of these, once again, underdeveloped third world nations, dictatorships by and large, why do you believe, I mean, I read 82, three, four, 5% of all the illegals are young men. Why? Uh, could be a couple of reasons. I think probably because, uh, simply they are the ones capable of making these dangerous trips. Uh, also I think, you know, a lot of people are coming over here to get jobs and sending the money back home. So that could be it, you know, you know, dad's going off to make money in America so that we can, I don't know, buy an extra tire down here. Okay. Stick with me for a second. You ready to go down conspiracy theory Avenue? I am. Okay. Um, I figured you would. <laughs> Red's coming along on I'm this ride. Okay. So I'll agree with what you say. I mean, they're, they're more fiscally able to make that treacherous journey. Um, they're coming to look for employment, send some of the money back. I, I've got another theory. I believe that dictatorships like being in charge, rogue governments like being rogue governments, um, oppressive governments like being oppressive governments, and estrogen is nowhere near as hard to contain as testosterone. So if I'm a dictator and I've got a percentage of young men and they're a bit rambunctious and rebellious and won't do what I tell them to do, why not let them become somebody else's problem? Why not encourage them? Hey, there's a land of opportunity waiting across that Rio Grande. I mean, they, you know, they're, they're a great opportunity. You can go over there and, uh, you know, they, they don't enforce the laws. 
Next thing you know, you're, you're working on a farm. You're working on a construction site. You're making X number of dollars. You send that money back. I do believe it's what you said. I think they're far more capable of making that treacherous journey. I think they're far more able to be employed, you know, in some of these unskilled labor positions in the American economy. But I still believe it's very manipulative. And I think some of these rogue governments and dictatorships say the less testosterone I have to deal with, the more likely it is I can keep my people in line. And and women are real emotional. With all due respect, women admit this. Men are Jeeps. Women are Ferraris. A lot of complications um, there. You can explain things to women in, in a way that resonates and, and kind of draws on their feelings. So, so I believe it's – I think there are a lot of reasons that the majority are men – I think one of the primary reasons that people aren't talking about is, you know, if I'm a dictator running a rogue government, I'd rather not deal with a bunch of young, rambunctious men. And if I can get them out of the picture, I can explain to these women. And, you know, I can, I, can, I, can, I can make them feel a certain way about what we're trying to do. And, and I, I just believe that, you know, the, the, the more estrogen and less testosterone I can deal with, the more likely it is I stay in charge of this dictatorship or rogue government. Let's go to the phones. Bill in McCall. Good morning, Bill. I do, Dave Ken. You know, they talk all these young men coming over here. They're not coming over here looking for jobs. And Josh is so naive, I hate it for him. They coming over here to cause havoc and to raise terror in this country. And our government is backing them. They can say what they want to say. We, the people need to vote all these people that's been in office more than 10 years, eight years, need to vote their ass out because they ain't doing nothing for this country. And if the American people can't see that, I mean, there's something wrong with the American people. You know, it's just. Thank you, you, Bill. Appreciate it. Well, I mean, think about what Lindsay said. I mean, Lindsay's a a very influential elected official. Um, Senior senator from South Carolina. I mean, he's in the room when some of these decisions are made. He's at least a part and parcel of the conversation, no matter if a Democrat or Republican or in the White House. Lindsey Graham has a seat at the table when some of these big immigration, uh, you know, foreign affairs decisions are made. I didn't hear Lindsey say a thing about the border. I mean, he talked a lot about, you know, I'm cutting the head of the snake off, that being Tehran, that being Iran. I mean, he basically said that he's for American involvement, you know, um, cutting the head of the snake off, that being Iran. Um, but he never mentioned, uh, you know, what, what the America Firster believes is the most important, and that is securing the border. I mean, you know, wherever we end up, whatever we end up involved, I mean, we're going to be in this in some way, shape, or form. I, I just, uh, I, th- I think Josh nailed it last week when he said the Israeli lobby, um, this biblical worldview. I mean, there are a lot of parts of this that are going to create a perfect storm, and we're going to do more than folks like me are comfortable with. I mean, I think they're around the bend. At some point in time in the next 18 months, we'll probably be involved in some sort of conflict. To what degree, I don't know. But we'll be involved in some sort of military conflict with Iran. I mean, I really believe mm-hmm. that. Will it be in support of Israel? Will it would be, you know, as part of NATO? I, I don't know. But but I, I just believe that history. Well, I mean, look at our history. I mean, we, we, it's been hard for us to reserve ourselves now, and there will be some in America say it's the right thing to do. I mean, if they if their funding Hezbollah and Hamas, how do you exempt them? I mean, how do you go after Hamas and Hezbollah and not Iran? I mean, you know that that's a complicated argument to make. But but how do you complicate securing the border or not? 
I mean, how is that not number one? I mean, if you're a senator or a congressman or a, you know, anybody in the, in, in the federal government, how is that not first and foremost? I mean, how can we debate anything until we settle that issue? And we've got to secure our border because we're letting dangerous people into our country. Josh thinks it's less than Rev thinks. I don't have any idea how many it is, but it's more today than it was yesterday. It'll be more tomorrow than it is today because we have decided to not secure our border. And who's coming across the border? We don't know. We don't have any idea. How, how, how does that not freak out our elected officials? How does Lindsey Graham sit down on Meet the Press and talk about Hamas, Hezbollah, and Iran without just making as his priority securing the southern border? But it, but it seems that we're a bit, you know, we're, we're far more focused on Israel and the Jewish state and our obligations to NATO and that part of the world and, you know, Iran and, and you know, that there's very little attention paid to securing the border. Let's go to the phone. Rick and Sumter listening to WDXY. Morning, Rick. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Um, interesting, interesting topic, as always. Um, look, I agree with you. Some of these guys coming over the southern border, and they are young males. Um, you know, we can argue about how many of them are coming over here to start cells or whatever, but they have to be self-supporting. One thing I don't hear out of either party, cut off the tap, slap a big fine on anybody who knowingly hires an illegal. You'll get a lot of these big corporate farms that are hurting the American family farm anyway, um, construction sites. But if you knowingly hire an undocumented worker, slap the fine on the corporate. And then you're, once the jobs aren't here, it's going to slow down. Um, you know, one other thing that, you know, you'd mentioned earlier just about Israel and such, I think we still have a Palestinian flag flying in the halls of the House of Representatives out of one, you know, esteemed leader's office. And that's all those darn Somalis we welcomed in and put up in Michigan, right? Correct. It's crazy, but yeah, let's go to the source and cut off. Let's close the tap for the jobs, make it harder to employ these people and less profitable. And then you're going to see a major slowdown. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate that. I'm with that. I mean, I'm for that. Um, The concern I have, and I think Rick and I could debate this, and I don't know the answer. The concern I have is, okay, if we don't secure the border, but, but the people coming here realize the jobs putting pine straw and picking strawberries and working on construction sites are not going to be readily available to people who aren't properly documented. Does the government decide to not let them participate in entitlement programs? See, that's the big quandary. We, we historically, we believed that all of those people to come in here to work and make a better way. I think there's still some coming here to work and make a better way, but I think there's some that realize now that there, there's, I don't want to say blanket immunity, but there, there's kind of a, there, there's a way of life the entitlement system in America allows that's better than anything we've got where we are. I mean, to live under the entitlement system in America is better than living under the conditions and rule of law we live in in Venezuela or Nicaragua or some of these other, other countries. I think that's a fair debate. I think that's a very legitimate debate to have. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Jacob in Florence. Good morning. You're on the air. Yes. Good morning, guys. Uh, and 
before I make a point, I, let me just say the following. Uh, thank you very much, Ken, and your team for uh, for this show. Thank you for this talk show because we we need to speak as people, as residents of of this fine community, of this fine state, and this fine nation. We have to speak, right? We have to talk, and uh, that is that is the right that we have as Americans to speak, right? To vent out our feelings, and this is the point I, I want to uh, make today. So I, I sense there's a lot of frustrations from the callers and people in general. And let me just say, this is not the time to panic. Um, and we, we must never let hatred overtake us because the moment that happens, we become Hamas and we start killing one another. And I was thinking, what, how, how can anyone, how can any normal person do what they did to those Israelis? murder them in cold blood, do horrible things. And, and, and I figured it out. I, I said, well, that's, that's hatred. That's what hatred does when it comes into our hearts. So this is not the time to panic. This is the time to react. So let's do the math. How many people have come into our country and crossed the border? Countless, countless people. It's, you know, in the millions, all right, since this, this has happened. A lot of those people, unfortunately, do not have the best interests for our country, right? We could, we could say that there's a good number of them that are terrorists. So we have to watch out for one another here. Uh, Sheriff Joy, if you're listening, we need to start protecting our schools, soft targets, shopping centers, uh, churches. I mean, these people, uh, terrorists, they don't play by rules. They're, they're out for one thing. And it's to kill and terrorize. And I hate that we're having this uh, conversation, but these are the times that we live in. The important thing is that we don't panic, we think strategically, and that we that we look out for one another. I don't know, Ken, what what your thoughts are, but I mean, that, I'm just I'm just uh, trying to help my community. I think uh, a lot of us are frustrated, but we can't we can't lose this battle. We just have to be very smart about how we behave moving forward. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, yeah. I mean, h- how to deal with hate. I mean, is there a book somewhere? I mean, can I, can I get the first edition ever of how to deal, how to correctly respond, um, how, how to root it out of society? I mean, hate's been around since the beginning of time. Um, you know, wh- what do you do about hate? Um, do the Jews hate the Palestinians? I- I- I'm not a Jew. I'm not Palestinian. I don't know. Don't have any idea. And I, and I tried to go back and read as much as I could last week. And the only, I mean, the only extremism in this is Hamas and Hezbollah have agreed and publicly said and professed that Jews should be killed. I mean, I, I think arguing over who the rightful owner of this property is and is it a, a fulfillment of biblical prophecy, I mean, that, those are rational debates. I mean, those are reasonable. Reasonable people can disagree. And, and I hope we can respect one another at the end of, at the end of the day, even if you got a winner and a loser. I mean, I didn't see anybody from South Carolina punch a Florida Gator player in the mouth after the game Saturday. I mean, I would imagine losing the way the Gamecocks did. There's a lot of emotion. I mean, there's a lot of energy there. And, you know, I mean, I know how I felt. Frustrated, aggravated, angry. Um, but, but I never sensed any hate. I mean, there, hate is a, it's, it's a powerful emotion, and it's so contaminants. I mean, it's just, 
icky. It, it's it's nasty. It's you know I'm, I've told my kids you know there there are some things we like and some things we don't like. Some things we approve of. Some things we don't approve of. But don't allow hate in your heart because it'll fester. Um, I mean, it's just the work of Satan. I really believe that. I think life in general is a spiritual battle. Uh, you know, I don't know if I got a good angel and a bad devil in one side of the brain or the other, and I'm trying to, you know, discern. Um, but but you know, evil's real. And I think evil takes advantage of, you know, some sort of hatred that one group has with another. Um, I don't know how. I'll give you an example. I think there's a fair argument. Remember when Trump said there are good people on both sides? I mean, you're probably better off when you're running for office not to say that. But Trump has a habit of saying things, and he gets away with it. And he's he's just kind of a political anomaly when it comes to that, a, somewhat of a unicorn. Um, but 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 to suggest there's good people on all sides in what happened in um, Israel, it's just I mean, th- those aren't good people. I mean, the people that that planned and schemed and carried out the actions of of, of uh, Hamas last weekend were not good people. I mean, you stop trying to find a silver lining there. I mean, they're, they're, they're brutal murderers. I mean, they're not militia. They're not inspired by Allah. They're, they're brutal murderers. Um, I mean, they, they, they riddled infants with bullets. They severed the heads of infants and babies and children. They burned Jews alive, and they celebrated and filmed. And I've seen some of the visuals. I've watched. Uh, it's hard. It's disgusting. And the majority of us can't relate to hate. We just can't. I mean, I don't. I can't speak for Josh or Rev. I mean, I'm thinking about something I hate. Um, I strongly dislike Florida in the last two minutes of the football game Saturday. I strongly dislike liberal Democrats and some of the things they want to do to the country. But I don't know. I mean, I don't have any hate in my heart. I'm real guarded about allowing that to exist. But if we so, – so what is the counter emotion, Josh, Rev? What is the counter – what is reasonable when, when we see things like we saw – over the, the past weekend, what is a reasonable response? What sort of energy should we expel? What sort of um, what sort of retribution should we seek? I mean, surely you don't believe we should sit down with Hamas and Hezbollah and say, hey, guys, would you please stop doing that? I don't think it would be effective. Well, I mean, no. I mean, they're, 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 full of, they're full of hate. Mm-hmm. They hate the Jews. They hate the fact that Israel has uh, its property. And, and I, I don't know how to deal with that. I mean, to me, and I'll say it: you, you, you root evil out, you kill it. I mean, you, you, you have to you, you neutralize pull hate the up at the roots. And and if and if Gaza is full of Hamas and Hezbollah, excuse me, Hamas Hezbollah would be at the West Bank. But if Hamas is the official government of Palestine, I think Israel's doing about as well as they can. Hey, there's this southern trek that we're allowing. I think Turkey's uh, waffling a little bit on. Remember, Turkey said, "Not here. No, we don't want any part of that." Uh, from what I read over the weekend, Turkey is beginning to waffle a bit. And perhaps there will be a humanitarian corridor. And some of the Palestinians who don't hate Jews, I mean, you know, who want some sort of um, two-state solution, they'll figure out a way to get to safe haven. But, but I, you know, I, I think the people of Hamas deserve to be slaughtered. I'm sorry. I mean, does that make mean my heart is full of hate? I hope not. But, but I, I don't know any other form of retribution. I don't know any other solution other than uh, find the people that committed these horrific acts against innocent human beings and, and, you know, just make sure they don't ever do it again. And, and I don't think there's a therapy session for Hamas to go through. 
that enlightens them more about the world around them, and they'll say, okay, we and the Jews can, can coexist. I mean, once again, I don't think all Palestinians hate all Jews. I'm sure all Jews don't hate all Palestinians. I mean, you know, we, we've had several treaties and accords that, you know, live in some sort of, um, maybe not peace, but at least we aren't slaughtering one another. But Hamas last weekend chose to slaughter innocent people based on their hatred of the Jews. I mean, like Bree said, when somebody tells you who they are, take them at their word um, sometimes. 843-661-0937. Is it time for our break? It is. Okay. We'll take a break. We'll be back in a few. 843-661-0937. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Jim in Sumter. More Jim, you're on. Hey, good morning, uh, Ken, Dave, Josh. Um, well, I called last week and uh, basically preached about dehumanization, and now I'm going to completely contradict myself. Um, I would say at this point the best analogy I can make is that Hamas are like dogs with rabies. Once you have that mental illness, the only thing you can do to solve it is to put them down. Now, I understand dehumanization is a bad thing. At the same time, when somebody is raised from birth to hate, and they are taught dehum they they are taught to dehumanize their opponent from birth. This is not something you just overnight, you know, go to a AA meeting and you're like, oh man, I was so wrong. Um, I think it's so ingrained in the population that they're totally justified. Israel is totally justified in removing them from the face of the earth. Now, alternatively, if it, if Hamas were Israel and Israel, the Jews were in the Gaza Strip. Do you think with their ideology, if they had tanks and an iron dome and all of the soldiers, that they would not do the same, that they would not have long since gone in and just erased all the Jews and this would have been wiped up many years ago? Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. I'll answer that in just a bit. Right now we have with us Fox News Radio's Jared Halpern. Jared, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you? So it seems to me, I watch some of the Sunday morning shows as part of my prep to host this show in the morning. It seems to me, Lindsey Graham in particular, um, is now talking about Iran being the funder for Hamas and Hezbollah and is supportive of U.S. involvement. Um, I mean, I, how is the U.S. going to continue to assist um, our one of our most steadfast allies in Israel? Yeah, I, I think, well, one, you've seen um, just the, the show of support, right, from President Biden on down. And um, the top diplomat, the Secretary of State, is back in Jerusalem today. It's his second time now uh, in Israel since the terrorist attack um, earlier this month. Um, he has spent the weekend throughout the region. He was in Egypt. He was in Saudi Arabia. He was in Jordan meeting with regional leaders about uh, their concerns, trying really to, to figure out a way here to solve what is going to be a catastrophic humanitarian issue in Gaza as well, right? Remember that Hamas um, puts all of its military and, and uh, sort of terrorist resources in highly populated civilian areas. 
Um, that's why you've seen Israel leaflet, uh, drop leaflets down, telling people to evacuate, telling people to leave uh, in uh, ahead of any sort of invasion that may occur. Um, all that being said, um, you know, it's going to be a challenge to, to try and, and handle that. And it's going to take the support of, of other regional partners who also are kind of concerned about opening up uh, these these corridors and letting in um, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Palestinians. Egypt has raised its concerns as well. And so that's the challenge here, I think, diplomatically that the U.S. is trying to, to put forward is certainly making sure that Israel has all of the resources it needs militarily to move forward um, against Hamas, to eliminate Hamas, as we heard from President Biden yesterday in that 60 Minutes interview, and at the same time, try and mitigate as much as possible a lot of the humanitarian issues that are sure to spring up. Jared, is Washington aware, I'd be interested in your take here, is Washington aware of the anti-interventionist sentiment of the American public. I mean, I, I'm 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 25 years in politics. I've never seen the Republican Party this anti-interventionist. Is Washington aware of the sales job they'll have to do to the American public? Well, I'm not sure what sales job they have to do. There, there, no one is talking about U.S. intervention in the Middle East. Um, I mean, there, it's just. Well, I mean, Lindsey Graham said that he is for. You know, cutting the head off the snake, and if that well, means bombing, Lindsey Graham, I, Lindsey Graham's a single member of the United States Senate. But but, but you would agree, a very prominent member, and and carries a pretty big stick when it comes to geopolitics in in we'll Washington. See. I, listen, I, again, I, I've not heard from from the administration, from military officials, that they are planning to have U.S. forces on the ground. One part of that is Israel doesn't need that. That's not what Israel is asking for. Now, if this were to widen and, and broaden, and you saw. Iran potentially get involved, that might change the equation. But so far, that's not what, what administration officials are, are planning for. Again, the, the U.S. kind of presence in that region right now is entirely um, kind of a show of, of deterrence, right? It's not unusual for the United States to move um, Navy assets closer to that region when there are flare-ups, when there are hostilities, um, kind of just to, to remind Iran and other bad actors, perhaps the U.S. is is there in, a, in an ally of Israel. But as for what's happening in Gaza, there's really been no discussion of U.S. forces getting involved in that fight. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate your time. Have a great day. I, I just think there has been a good bit of that. I, I mean, you know, not, not to dispute what Jared is saying, but I think there has been a good bit of, um, of scuttlebutt about America's role or, or what it should do or should not well, there's do. There's certainly people in Washington that well, I mean, would be for that. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean. Escalation. Yeah, and, and I understand it. It's complicated. I mean, we, we've tried to explain the complications the best we can, and I'm not sure what needs to be done or, or not be done, but but I, I just think to, to believe that America is going to show a certain reservation, uh, you know, check our history. We've just not been real good at that. Um, how long were we in the Middle East? Uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq, what, 20-some-odd years? Uh, you know, unlimited money on endless wars. And, you know, I'm not saying yay or nay. It's just not that I believe we should do this or should not do do that. But, but I, you know, Lindsey, I mean, Lindsey Lindsay cares a lot of sway. I mean, he, you know, his opinion matters in, in Washington. I'm trying to find it now. But um, the, the part where he basically says, you know, that, that, you know, I believe that we have to 
um, go after Iran. Uh, you know, let me let me see if I can find he, he that put, again. He, he put him on notice. I mean, well, he, to, he, to fact, me, he said, he "Here's did. a message to Iran." G- give me two seconds here, Rev. Keep, okay. keep um, give me <laughs> because we played it earlier. Well, I mean, we played it earlier, and I'm trying to find it again. Yeah. Um, there's a Tennessee Volunteer Alabama feed on <laughs> on uh anyway uh well uh, yeah well I'll find it in a bit but anyway it's um but it's Lindsey Graham saying that you know he will make recommendations to whomever will listen to him that you know Iran's the funder I mean Iran is where the money comes from and I mean if that's not a if that's not a remark of escalation what is because uh, I think she uh you know the lady that hosts Meet the Press now her name escapes me. Um, Welker. Yeah, Welker. Kristen, Kristen Welker. Yeah, she says, um, so you're basically saying, and then and, and to say that Lindsay just makes it up as he goes is disingenuous. I mean, Lindsay is very in tune with our, you know, military endeavors relating to, to geopolitics. You know, Jim made an interesting statement, and I mean, it's, but I think we all agree to this. Um, you know, you, how do you deal with a terrorist? How do you kill them? I mean, you know, that, it's hard to believe there's somebody out there listening that doesn't believe in that. I mean, it, it, I mean, I understand a, a lot of us romance about utopia. You do, I do. Everybody does what they should do. Everybody loves one another. Um, there aren't bad people. Everybody, you know, even the bad people just make mistakes. They didn't intentionally um, do that. But, you know, Hamas and Hezbollah have told you what they believe in. I mean, they, they're willing to try and exterminate Jews from the planet Earth. I mean, if you... How do you deal with that in a compassionate uh, sort of way? I don't think you can. They they Um, not only told you, but they've done it. Well, they've done it and would do it again. I mean, they would do it every day of their lives. Um, And then, you know, that's what you're dealing with. And I I, I kind of assumed that we would move on to the speaker's race and and some of these other issues um, until Lindsey said what he said. And, And to me, that's just, I mean, when Jared says there's nobody talking about that sort of American involvement. Well, I mean, you've, you've got a prominent U.S. senator who I think chairs the arm. Well, when the Republicans are in charge, he chairs the Armed Services Committee. And he says bluntly, you know, uh, I believe that we need to go after those who fund terrorists. And that's Iran. Um, how is that not a remark of escalation? And how did that, you know, contrast with how the majority of Americans feel um, today? We may have cut Jim off, but we had... Um, Jared lined up, and he was a minute or two late. I apologize for that. In live radio, maybe Jim didn't get to finish his comments, but in live radio, we've got these situations we we find ourselves in from time to time, and we do the best we can to navigate um, those particular yeah, yeah, we had Jared situations. scheduled, and he was a minute or two late calling, so we had gone to Jim's call, and, yeah, we apologize. Yeah, I didn't that. want to hold Jim for six or eight minutes. I want to try to get him on, on the line. Is somebody else on the phone? Let's yep. go there. Yeah, Bert in Florence. Hey, Bert. Good morning. I, I just well, I want to say this. I am I am in agreement that you know if there's a copperhead and you need to kill it, well you have to kill it, whatever. But I hate the way that the story leans to one's evil and one's a victim because I don't believe in evil, first of all. But they're both equally to blame for this because it has been tit for tat forever over there. I mean, they they have been threatening each other and, and harassing each other and killing each other for as long as we've been around. But, you know, it, it, it seems like everybody's on one side or the other and pretends the other one is the problem. They're both the problem. 
so and I'll tell you, Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Graham is a warmonger. I, I, I don't know how he is still in office. There's no way that he should still be in office with the attitudes that he has. It's like right before the election. He says something brilliant on TV so that everybody goes, oh, well, maybe we should keep him around. He's a warmonger. And our country is full of warmongers, and we constantly go in and get into wars that we should not have anything to do with. This is not our business, and we are we are stepping into something we should not be. Thank you, Bert. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. To the phone we go. Scott in Florence. Good morning, Scott. You're on. <laughs> Good morning, fellas. Uh, I just wanted to talk about um, how it affects us domestically um, because we have some members of Congress who support Palestine or Hamas, and they fly flags outside their offices in Cannon or Longworth or any of the you know, congressional office buildings. Um, I don't know, and I'm a recovering attorney, so uh, I know this is a sticky wicket, but I don't know how we can allow a person. It's almost like um, we've let, uh, you know, the hordes within the gate, you know, getting elected to our uh, halls of power, excuse me, you know, where, you know, these folks uh, support Hamas who support the killing of Jews, which we in our country are absolutely not in support of. It's a core principle of, you know, like the 1964 Civil Rights Act. You just don't judge people based on religion or race or national identity. So how do we, you know, is there a process by which, you know, and, you know, you're, you're, you know, it's a great balancing act, but can you guys think of a process by which we deal with uh, roughly 700,000 people who elect a congressperson who's going to say things like Israel's the great Satan and they need to be dealt with accordingly. Um, I just it just bothers me how it affects our country that we have people in positions of power who now um, are espousing some very anti-American ideals, you know, our cultural normative. So. Um, that's kind of how it hits me, you know, how it affects us domestically and affects our policy and our domestic discussion of these international relations in the Mideast. And I'll just let you guys uh, kind of ruminate on that. And thank you so much, fellas. Appreciate thank you. It. Appreciate that. Very interesting call. Very thoughtful call. I'll say this. Stew on this for a second. Is anti-Palestine a pro-American sentiment? I mean, I'm asking. I don't know the answer to that. Is is, is anti-Palestine a pro-American? We know that pro-Israel is pro-American. I mean, by and large, I didn't say every single person in America agrees to that. But I mean, the the, the majority of Americans believe in in kind of a pro-Israeli stance relating to our government. Is anti-Palestine pro-American? Take a break. Back in a few. Remember some of the, um, remember Rex Tillerson, I mean, he was Trump's first chief of staff, left Exxon, became Secretary, chief, of, State. Secretary of State. I'm sorry, chief of staff, Secretary of State. Um, I mean, they, Trump ended up calling him dumb as a rock. Anyway, um, the a lot of the Bob Woodward book behind the scenes of the Trump presidency was 
I mean, some people believe that Tillerson was the, the major source that kind of told Woodward what was happening behind um, the scene. There was a, I mean, th- there was a trip by the Palestinian president. I mean, I can't think of his name, an Abbas or something like that. Um, during the early days of the Trump administration, and this is in Woodward's book, um, and they, he kind of, I mean, he, he, he explained things in a way that Trump kind of got enamored with. I mean, and, and believe it, Trump's kind of an, imp- you know how he is. I mean, he's a, uh, a real emotional guy, but, um, but the, the Palestinian president convinced Trump that Netanyahu was just too difficult. I mean, he was a, he was a big obstacle. I mean, this, you know, uh, any sort of peace agreement between the Israelis and the Palestinians was going to have to be made with Netanyahu not out of that. I mean, Netanyahu's a hardliner. Uh, and in the current construct, the, the, the Lukid party that Netanyahu presides over has to consolidate or collaborate with an even extreme, a more right wingish uh, Israeli, I don't want his parliamentarian government. It's not the, it's not a duopoly. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta go get a few of these and a few of those and a few of the others. I kind of like that. Uh, you know, you gotta collaborate and you gotta compromise one with another. But, but Trump began questioning after the visit from the Palestinian leaders. And I think his name was Abbas. Uh, but, but anyway, Trump, he convinced Trump that Netanyahu's a hard ass and we're not going to create any sort of um, peace agreement as long as he's in the middle of it. Netanyahu hears about this. Now, once again, this is the Woodward book that we believe Tillerson was the primary source. Um, Netanyahu, from what I'm led to believe in some of the uh, yeah, some of the reporting and, and reading the book, that um, they showed him a fake video of Palestinians committing acts of violence against against Israelis and Netanyahu says so this is the guy you want me to to sit down with I mean this is the guy that you want me and Trump bought the video I mean Trump brought that or bought that the video was authentic it was real Tillerson says that people in the White House were saying no this video is not real it's not to be trusted I mean it's propaganda by the Israeli government that didn't really happen um but but shortly after that that would have been in 2017 mid to late 2017 um, is when Trump announced Jerusalem was going to be recognized as the capital of Israel. Um, and that convinced Abbas that Trump could not be a mediator. I mean, he was just not sincere. He was pro-Israel, pro-Jew, pro, and and yeah, a lot, lot of the wheels fell off. Mike Pompeo, from what I've read, got very involved in, in, in some of that. But, um, and, and that would have been, I mean, once again, the Clinton, Obama, Bush, I don't know, don't have any idea, but I do remember reading a good bit about that particular episode of Trump being president. And, uh, and once he recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, Abbas condemned it. The Palestinians got real frustrated and, um, and they perceived that as kind of a, um, the U S withdrawing from a, a kind of a mediator's role. You've, you're taking sides now. I mean, when you put the, you know, when you declare the, when you recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, that lets us know as Palestinians that you can't be uh, an honest negotiator, an honest broker, and there's not going to be any two-state solution. I mean, it, every, it, at every turn, it's complicated. I mean, it always has been. I guess it always um, will be. To me, the, I don't want to say the line of demarcation, Josh, 
but but correct me if I'm wrong, because you're I mean you're you're not sure where you stand on this. I mean I've listened to you enough last week and I watched your face enough this week. You're not sure where you stand here. You and I are in in, in kind of lockstep with Ukraine and and Russia. Uh, I, mean, yeah. I, I think we're we're pretty much on the same team there. No more money for Ukraine. I mean that's just not in our best interest to continue to spend taxpayer dollars in a part of the world that we don't believe genuinely, sincerely affect our safety and security. I think this is more complicated. I think you agree it's more complicated, but but I'm led to believe that you've not convinced yourself what we should do or should not do as much as I have. Um, and, you know, once again, I am not supportive of what Lindsey Graham said. I'm sorry. I'm just not. Um, if anybody attacks Iran, it needs to be Israel. I'm sorry. But if, if Israel believes that Iran is the funder, and that's where the money comes from, to equip and and empower Hezbollah and Hamas, then Israel needs to do that. Um, I've got I've got a couple of Jewish friends of mine who disagree with that. Um, the I think Josh and I agree with this. So so Josh and I I think agree in two places: no boots on the ground under any condition or circumstance. Now now we opened up the can of worms this morning. What if there are American hostages? I mean, what, what, what if there are Americans trapped in Gaza today? Would we be in favor of one of our elite, you know, we talked last week about 6,000 uh, elite forces trained in this sort of, you know, uh, rescue missions and extreme combative situations. Or are we in favor of that? And I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not in the room where they make these big decisions. But if I knew that 100 Americans were being held hostage in Gaza, do I just say tough stuff? I mean, he shouldn't have been there. Or do we have some sort of national obligation to go try to rescue those people? Well, I mean, if we, if we say that, Josh, if you and I agree, and I'm not saying we do, but if you and I agree we can't leave Americans, quote, unquote, on the battlefield, then there's only one place to stage, and that's going to be Israel, right? So so, so under those circumstances, are, are, we, are we a little bit inconsistent in saying no boots on the ground unless – you know, we've got, uh, you know, 500 of our finest and most elite on the ground in Israel trying to not 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 advance, you know, Israel's defense or or extermination of Gaza, but rather to get Americans out of yeah, there. There's a difference between well, an aggressive to, to action and, and a rescue mission. Yeah, to, to, to me, there is. So if um, and I think it's fairly well documented that somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 Americans are held up in, in some way, shape or form in this conflict. I do believe that I'm supportive of our most elite, not going to try and defeat Gaza, but, but I mean, obviously, as part of rescuing our hostages, you're trying to defeat uh, Hamas. But, but you know, after, it, it's a little bit like, remember George H.W. Bush, some of the military leaders tried to encourage him to go to Baghdad, and he said that was not our mission. I mean, our mission was to liberate Kuwait. I mean, I think we had to have, with, with, with enormous clarity, we're not going here to stay. We're sending 100, 200, 300 of our finest to Israel to bring our hostages back home. And then we're out of here. And I mean, are you for that? I mean, I, yes. I mean, I'm for that. We can't leave 150 Americans. If we know there are 150 Americans hostage in, in, in Gaza, we've got to do everything in our power mm -hmm. to try and get them out of there. Take a break. Back in a few. You know, I read a lot on Twitter and Facebook. I, Twitter more so politics. Facebook's more about, look what I had to eat, and look where I am on vacation, and 
you know, look at what I caught while I'm fishing. Anyway, mm. uh, it, it's it's far less. It's it's more. Ah, what am I trying? To, it's 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 tamer. I mean, it's not as cutting edge. I mean, Twitter's where people get after it. Uh, as you'd say, in politics I've seen and very whatnot. little about the Middle East conflict on Facebook. I'm, I'm, I made that observation the weekend that, that, that the tragedy happened last weekend, and I didn't see any part of it on Facebook. And of course, Twitter had, I mean, everything from, from sure. live videos and, and really, I guess the reality of what was going on. But, but it's just interesting to me as I try to think through some of these and I mean, obviously, I don't. I don't think for you guys because you guys think for yourself. But you land where you land, and I land where I land. But but I just all the experts, you know, we're talking about how reckless it was to elect Trump. I mean, we'll be in a war every time we turn around, man. I mean, all I know is Putin didn't attack anybody, and Hamas didn't invade Israel. Uh, you take, I mean, it, whatever it is, like luck of the draw, lottery tickets. Um, it's just it's kind of interesting to me how many people say that Biden's on it. I mean, Biden, you know, he's, um, I mean, he, he's, he's, you know, uh, international diplomacy. That's his uh, level of a, uh, you've, you've heard somebody say that it's not, well, I mean, that's not mainstream well, I mean, it's, media. It's, it's a lot on Twitter. I mean, there's a lot of that on Twitter. Some of the mainstream media are saying, you know, it's good to have a measured man in the white house. Good to have somebody who's been around the block, so to speak, and understands foreign diplomacy and international relations. All I know is Putin didn't attack anybody when Trump was president and Hamas didn't cut babies heads off in Israel. Uh, you know, I don't know why. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'll accept that Trump was a political neophyte. I mean, I'll accept that Donald Trump didn't understand um, NATO. Donald Trump's probably a little bit like Alan Jackson. And I'm not sure I can tell the difference in Iraq and Iran. But I, but I know this. I know that Putin didn't invade another country when he was president. I know that Hamas chose to not, you know, slaughter innocent Israelis or Jews when Trump was the, was the president. And I got to believe there's a reason, and I think the reason is you, you try that guy and you might get what you ask for. You know, I mean, he's a bit of a wild card. He's unpredictable. He's he's not the typical American politician, um, you know, Blinken. And I mean, I, I just I think it's so interesting to listen to Blinken say things that are, are so predictable and expected. Um, Jake Sullivan said a couple of weeks back, um, and he's, he works for the, well, I mean, Jake Sullivan doesn't run out on television and say things unless it's been approved. And he works for the state department. And Jake Sullivan said 10 days ago, the middle East has never been quieter. How did that age? But, but it's almost like Trump was the extreme example. I mean, if you roll the dice and elect this guy, there's no telling how chaotic the world is going to be. Well, I mean, the world wasn't very chaotic. I mean, it really it truly was yeah, the not. world was at relative peace. They said the economy was going to tank and well, the I mean, economy yeah, was doing well I mean, before the it. pandemic. So, so what do those people say now? That, that, that's my question. What do those people say now? What are the never Trumpers who were so concerned about the economy falling off the cliff? And I think, you know, Krugman said it'll, it'll take a generation to recover. I mean, there, there's no telling how much damage he'll do. James Carville, the night of the election said, you know, the market will never be the same. Um, you know, and, and, you know, he'll cut deals with foreign leaders and the world will be chaotic and unstable. I, I don't know. I, I just don't remember us having a lot of episodes like this when Trump was, was president. The, the, the biggest uncertainty in the Trump presidency was what he would say next. But I mean, Putin stayed in Russia. Hamas stayed in Palestine or stayed in the Gaza Strip. Hezbollah by and large stayed in in, uh, in the West Bank. 
but it's just so interesting to me that all of these these people who express opinions now, man, I'm glad we've got a measured man in the White House. I'm glad we got a guy who's an expert in international diplomacy. I'm glad we've got a guy that's been around the block. I mean, he knows how the Senate works, and he knows how, how Washington works. Oh, yeah, because uh, things all, are going so well. Well, I mean, all <laughs> I know is since he's been president, Putin has expanded into Ukraine, and Hamas has killed more Israelis than any time since the, the Holocaust. Or the, maybe the, the, the Yom Kippur war, war, I think, is the, um, is the most recent example of those sorts of atrocities committed against uh, the Jewish people. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Mike in Florence. Hello, Mike. You're on the air. Good morning. So something else that Trump will talk about is while he was in office, we didn't lose any servicemen. And I've heard more than one interview where he basically said he put, you know, put our enemies on notice that if we lose any servicemen, I will come and hunt you down. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that, that didn't happen under Trump, especially all the wars people said he was going to get us into. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. And the point I'm trying to make is, yeah, it appeared chaotic. And it appeared uncertain. We scratched our heads at times about the, the unpredictability of what he may say or, you know, we're led to believe he doesn't think things through and he doesn't do this and he doesn't do Remember, that. remember all the little rocket man stuff? Sure, with, uh, sure. Him, John, um. well, he, he said he'd bomb the blank out of, you know, and little rocket man. Yeah, look, I mean, that, that is very irreverent and, and probably unpresidential. But, but the reality is when Trump was president, it seemed the world was a more settled place. I mean, I'm thinking about it because, once again, I'm reading these um, these stories after st- – it's mainstream media. I mean, it's MSNBC, it's CNN, CBS, ABC, NBC, and they're basically celebrating that we've got an adult in the White House. You know, we, we've got a guy that understands international diplomacy, and he understands, you know, that part of the world, and he understands the historical nature and, the um, you know, the way you got to deal with this, and it's very tedious, and, and you got to be precise and exact. Once again, all I know is when Trump was president, it seemed like it seemed like the world was a little more normal uh, than, than it is today. And uh, it, does Trump get all the credit? Does he deserve all the credit? Of course not. But but you know when when you tell people how chaotic things are going to be if you elect this guy, you elect this guy, and things aren't anywhere near as chaotic. The only chaos was Trump, right? I mean, they, they really and truly, I mean, <laughs> the, the only chaos was Trump. What will that crazy man say next? I don't know. That's why I watch. That's why I listen. But the world was fairly orderly. I mean, he went and met with um, King John, uh, Kim Jong-un in North Korea. I kind of like the guy. He wrote me this wonderful letter, you know, and, and, and the media, their head blow up. You know, ah, wow, I mean, how risky is that? How crazy is that? That, that Trump would, um, you know, he would offer a compliment to Putin. And, and remember what Trump would always say? Why do I want to go to war? I mean, why, why do I want to hate Kim Jong-un? Why do I want to hate Russia? Why, why do I want to hate China? Why, why, why is this place so conditioned to, to find somebody to be an enemy? I mean, I think Trump understands the world's a dangerous place. I mean, I, I think, I mean, do you really believe that Trump takes Putin at his word? Come on. I mean, nobody can believe that. And despite what he may have said about Putin, he's playing a game. I mean, everything in his life is a negotiation. It's a business deal. So, so when he says pleasant things about Putin, do you really believe that Trump thinks Putin's an honest broker? Let, let me ask you a question. Anybody listening to my voice, who do you trust to not get snookered? 
Biden or Trump? I mean, seriously. I mean, really? So you believe right. if Kim Jong-un or Vladimir Putin or uh, President Xi from China are on one side of the table, you'd rather have Biden negotiating your interest than Donald Trump? I mean, forget flair, forget flavor, forget the way he does it, forget, you know, um, the rules of order, so to speak. I mean, politics is a an ongoing and perpetual negotiation. So when Trump is on is Trump when when Trump is on our side of the table representing our best interest, I mean, you you think he takes Putin at his word and and Xi at his word and and Kim Jong Un Rocket Man at his word? It, it's undeniable that the world was a a saner and safer place when the guy that had so little experience. But now we're reestablishing these relationships. We're getting back to a a normal international order. Okay. I, I tell, tell that to the people in Ukraine. And tell that to the people in Israel. 843-661-0937. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Royal Rev of Radio was at the... Josh, he was at the ledge. I mean, he really and truly was. I mean, I didn't know if he would yeah. survive or not. He's um, and the reason when you're a, a gamecock lifer, you're tough, right? I mean, you've had your heart ripped out of your chest mm-hmm. a handful of times over the years. Rev's kind of a um, he's not a newbie, but he's not a lifer. That's true. And and as a lifer, Saturday doesn't really surprise you. As a, <laughs> <laughs> and like I was telling you, it, it was the way it happened. I mean, when you're up toward the end of the game, it seems to me now sitting in the stands, it's easy to say, but it seems to me you just got to hold the line. Don't let them score. Yeah, I would almost rather been beat in a blowout. Than oh yeah. What happened. It, it, you know, and I told you when you look at the Gamecock season and, and I, and I'll be optimistic for a second. It's hard for me to be optimistic, but I'll do it just for one second. I'll fake it. And it like, you know, everything's okay. <laughs> You're one game behind. I mean, in all honesty, you're one game behind. The game Saturday was the game that got away from you. Looking back on it now, should they have beaten North Carolina? Probably not. North Carolina's a good team. I mean, they really are. They're undefeated. Are are they the 10th best team in America? I don't know, but they're a good team. I mean, there's no shame in that. You you won the toss-up game against Mississippi State. You lost at Tennessee. Tennessee beat A&M this weekend. I mean, Tennessee's a, a pretty good football team this year. And, and, you know, you, you go to Athens, you play out of your mind, you have a chance. Maybe that's where everything got goofed up. Maybe we believed that the game in Athens was who we really are. And I think the first half in Athens, you caught one of the best teams in America sleepwalking, and they woke up in the second half. But when you really think about it, Reb, when you look at game by game, the only game that they let get away was Saturday. So instead of being two and four, you should be three and three. Well, you know what you got to do? You got to go steal a game. You got to go steal a game either this week or next. You got to sneak up on Missouri in Columbia, Missouri, or Texas A&M in College Station. I mean, you're going to be underdogs in both of those games. Mm -hmm. So you got to figure out a way to, you lost one that maybe you shouldn't have lost. You got to go win one that maybe you shouldn't win. And you kind of hold serve from there. Um, I I told you one one of the interesting parts of the rest of the season is Kentucky and Clemson. Kentucky's got problems. Their quarterback just isn't very good. Clemson is not elite. Clemson is better than the Gamecocks, but they're not elite. It's in Columbia. How much can the Gamecocks improve between now and then? And I understand the way people feel after what happened 
um, Saturday night. I don't feel as extreme as Rev because I've seen this rerun. <laughs> I've seen that movie a hundred times in my life. So you just regroup. You go to Missouri. Um, something tells me, you ready? Something tells me that Missouri has played better than they really are. And, okay. and, and one of these games, you hope it's Saturday, one of these games, I don't want to say they'll come crashing back to earth, but they'll, they'll struggle. And you just kind of hope that the game in Missouri is the game that Missouri just kind of sort of struggles. But I'll stand by this comment. And, and it's something you asked me about kind of unpeeling the onion. I believe that coaches and players win ball games. I believe administrations win championships. And there's something lacking in the fortitude of the administration at the University of South Carolina that has – it's the reason some of these things happen like happened um, Saturday night in the Williams-Brice. Really for the last four minutes, I text a buddy of mine in the second quarter, big Gamecock fan. I mean, I, I could just tell. I've been going all my life. I know the flow of the game. I know what I'm looking at. I know what I'm seeing. I text him and I said, better get 40. Will that be enough? Well, 40 would have been enough. Nope. You'd have lost 41. <laughs> You'd have lost 41 uh, to 40. But, you know, the, the Gamecock scored 30, what, 39? 38, 38, yeah, 38 think, or yeah. 39. So, you know, I just, I just, I've, I've been going a long, 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 long time. And I don't let my eyes deceive me. When, when I watched the first quarter, I text my buddy and I said, it'll take 40. <laughs> I, just, I just knew it. Uh, I thought 40 would win it. Well, 40 would have gotten you beat 41 to 40. And would I text you after the game? Yeah, wait, wait, till wait next till next year. year. Yeah, well, you don't have to wait till next year. I mean, you, you got a game this Saturday, and you're playing a pretty, a pretty good team on the road. They're going to be the favorite. They should be the favorite. You let one get away. You got to figure out a way to get that. Nobody went into this season – Believe it, it was going to be the Gamecocks, Oregon, and Georgia for a national championship. I mean, you, you had to you had to temper your expectations, and you had to accept that there's some good players and there's some not so good players on this team. Um, you just got you got to got to grind. You got to keep grinding and take the games one one at a time. Let's go to the phone, Sam and Cross Hill. Good morning, Sam. Uh, good morning, fellas. Uh, enjoying the show this morning. Yeah, I couldn't wait to hear uh, your commentary on the game this past weekend. Um, Ken and Dave. Uh, one of the things I did, watch it on TV, but then I went over to listen to Carolina Talks, uh, uh, streaming it up here through your station uh, uh, broadcast. And um, one of the callers that called in, I think, kind of uh, got the gets the feel correct that maybe a lot of Gamecock fans have, and that is, he said that uh, you know he was a Gamecock fan. He said he will always be a Gamecock fan. He was very frustrated, but he said. But I will be a Gamecock fan up until the time I die. But when I die, I want Todd Ellis and Tommy Suggs to be pallbearers because I want them to let me down one more time. <laughs> I heard that call. <laughs> I, heard, I laughed too. <laughs> I understand exactly. I understand exactly what he meant from that too. Um, also, getting back to the serious matters of, of today, uh, didn't uh, China didn't really make any moves under Trump either, did they? They did what not. Did they, when did the, did they take over Hong Kong over when Trump was in? Uh, uh, I don't remember exactly when that happened, but uh, certainly didn't move against uh, or even threaten. I don't think Taiwan. So that was one of the areas that you didn't mention when you're going down through the list. And finally, um, Lindsay, this past weekend wasn't the first time Lindsay had made that statement about bombing the oil refineries. In fact, I was almost the day after the invasion and everything, he was out uh, making that very strong. Uh, comment also 
sometimes I just wonder if Lindsay is 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 just a big blowhard or uh, just just likes to get in front of a camera uh, like a lot of them do. And um, uh, so anyway, yeah, really good discussions this morning. And uh, uh, go Tigers and go Gamecocks. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate that. There you, go. you know, I, let's let's stay here for a second. Let, let's because I consider Lindsay a competent guy. I mean, Lindsay's a smart guy. He's more hawkish than I'm comfortable with, but Lindsay's informed. He's no moron. I mean, Lindsay is plenty smart. Here's the the, the, the problem I've always had, had with Lindsay. It's not his fault. I think Lindsay knows way more about foreign policy than I do. I think I know enough. I mean, I think I can put together a cohesive argument for why or why not to do X, Y, or Z. Uh, you know, I'm not in the Senate. I'm not in the Armed Service Committee. I'm not a specialist in foreign policy. I don't get briefed by you know, the CIA and, and some of these other, you know, the American military doesn't sit down with me, you know, once every week and tell me, hey, here are the hot spots around the world. Here's what we pay close attention to. But but if they did, I could, I mean, I could digest that information and, and make the, the apparent sound judgment, maybe the wrong decision, but I could make the apparent sound judgment. Here's the difference in Lindsay and I. You ready? I've got three kids. And that's who we send to fight wars. We send other people's children to fight our wars and people's kids die. There are cemeteries in America full of American youth. And I don't know. I, I don't know how Lindsay processes. I'm not going to be unfair to Lindsay and say, well, I mean, it's easier for him to do it because he's not a father. I, I, I don't know how he deals with that, but there's no way as a member of the U S Senate, I could consider sending somebody else's kid to a foreign land with the potential of dying without thinking about my own. That, 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 that's the way I would make that decision. Um, is this worth my kid dying for? Lindsay can't ask that question. Well, let me back up. Lindsay can ask that question, but he can't answer it. You have to answer that question. One of these days, Josh will know what it's like to have to answer that question. But I've always said that give me all the information Make me as aware and informed as you possibly can. But I've still got to balance that with, am I willing to send someone else's kid in the name of the American military based on what I know, what I understand, what I believe? And I'm not saying it makes Lindsay far more suspect, but it does, it, it does allow him to not consider or not be able to answer. I'd love to, to last, ask Lindsay that. You know, when you make these hawkish statements, and I think he's sincere. I think Lindsey believes the world's a dangerous place and America better be in the middle of it. I think I think he genuinely believes that. We have disagreements about where American safety and security is at risk, how much it's at, at risk. Um, do I believe people tell Senator Gray on one side of the story? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, Josh, is it the job of the Jewish lobby to tell Lindsey both sides of the story? Or is it the job of the Jewish lobby to make sure Lindsay understands the sense of urgency by the Israeli people and the, the Jewish state? They want him to look out for them. Sure. Yeah, from their perspective. And, and they would be, I mean, they're doing exactly what they should do. And I'm not saying we need a Palestinian lobby in, in Washington. Well, we got a couple of members of the squad that have apparently taken on um, that role and responsibility. But, but I still believe one of, one of my priorities in matters relating to national defense and American involvement or not would be, am I willing to send your kid 
to that place in the world to die. Because there's a chance when we send your kid to that place in the world, they never come back. Was it worth it or not? That's got to be a part of how you make your decisions and determinations. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD, good morning. Hey, good morning, Ken. You go back to the Paul Dietzel Astro Turf days when we had Bob Bolton was on the radio. I do. That, that's been a while ago there, brother. Uh, I'm talking Lindsey. He, I call it the John McCain lane. You know, John McCain was on Meet the Press more than any other guest. And this is kind of interesting. Biden was in Arizona a few weeks ago. And who was he there with? He was with uh, John McCain's wife, Cindy McCain. So there's there's a little active push on that end. I call him a, a McCain Republican that voted Biden during the last time. Lindsey did say something about uh, Iran's oil revenues have increased. Uh, and that, I, you know, if you look at Biden's energy policy, I don't think he thought about this, where all these other countries are going to spend their extra oil revenue on war. But to get back, you said something about, you know, those uh, Ivy League schools. Blinken, he went to Columbia. Jake Sullivan, he was on all the shows yesterday. He went to uh, Yale and to talk about the media itself. Kristen Welker and Hallie Jackson, they were both on there yesterday. They're both Philly girls. Uh, they grew up, uh, Kristen grew up in Philadelphia. I think Hallie grew up in a Philly suburb. Uh, Kristen went to Harvard. Uh, Hallie went to Johns Hopkins, which is part of, it's not a Ivy League school, but it's it's up there. It's credited. That's kind of a Baltimore, D.C. school. Harvard is Boston. So if you look at a lot, a lot of this, and some things you talk about, you say you know, the government's too big, the, the colleges are too big. Well, look, this is what we're talking about. Because if you look at, a, at D.C., Collar County, go up I-95 north to Boston, that's where the Democrat uh, stronghold is. And that's where these, I'm going to call them industries, that, well, some of them are, some aren't. But that's where the Ivy League is. That's where the federal government is. That's where the government workers are. Uh, Wall Street, pharmaceutical companies, the media, uh, these they're global ports. Uh, Philadelphia is a global port. That's where Biden was the other day. Uh, so they're looking after their interests. Not do a good, I mean, I give them credit. They're doing a good job of it. They're looking after their interests. But I don't know if they really know anything about our lens on life living in South Carolina or some of these flyover states. So anyway, go Gamecocks. They need help. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. <laughs> Um, and th- that's probably more concerning to me. Uh, something that I understand, and, and we've seen these protests on all these elite universities um, campus, it's how liberal they become, how uh, it's not even elitist any longer. I mean, it, it's, it's the liberal mindset. I mean, it's the, um, it's the monolithic globalist kind of to the extreme. And I, I just believe that the government has to be inhabited by people who have great diversity. And it's not black, white, you know, it's not woman, man. I mean, it's the, what do you believe? What, what's important to you? What's essential in your, in your life. And it seems to me that we're, we're getting to a place in our government where these elite universities train, it says indoctrinate all of these people to believe almost one single thing. Next thing you know, they're running enormous government agencies with unbelievable power and sway. And they, they're, they're a bit robotic, and monolithic in how they see uh, the world around them. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Uh, I want to go back to something Rev and I talked about because he's asked me before. Um, when I say coaches win ball games 
administrations mm-hmm. win championships. Um, if, if some legislator were, can we say this? Well, Josh did. We're ballsy enough. Um, <laughs> we, the, the, the Gamecocks could really shake it up if they had a legislator in Columbia. And I'll ask Lowe and Jordan and Rickenbaugh about this. I know the answer. Nope, not doing that. Um, the Clemson land grant included lifetime uh, trustees. The lifetime a trustee allows them to be somewhat immune from the General Assembly. They can do some things and not have to worry about running for board reelection, you know, every cycle um, because they've got a lifetime uh, appointment. Now, they can resign and they can swap them out and whatnot. I've always believed that that wouldn't stand in court. So if someone, if, if I believe that one of the problems at USC is board members get on and stay forever, and I'm not being critical of anybody. I mean, if I was a board member, I'd want to stay on forever. Who wants to give up, you know, being instrumental in advancing a university, uh, his future. I just believe in young blood. I believe in turnover. I believe in term limits. So if some legislator wanted to kill a lot of birds with one stone, they could introduce legislation. I mean, it would be litigated, no doubt about it, but they could introduce legislation that made term limits mandated at publicly funded universities in the state of South Carolina. Once again, there'd be a team of lawyers over here and a team of lawyers over here. Um, I, you know, I've just, I've read some of the language in that land grant that uh, Mr. Clemson, when he, when he uh, created the university and, and I, I just, it probably have been Supreme court. I mean, it probably really and truly would, but, but it would force turnover. And, and, and you know, this Rev, I mean, it's no secret. I mean, I've got good friends on the board and I love them to death. And I, I just think turnover would be good. Um, you know, getting new blood on the board and newer blood on the board. Well, what about this guy who's been there forever, but he's really good. Well, I mean, you know, what about the real good congressman? You know, that, that, you know, probably should be allowed to stay there, but you either for, but most new people blood, are for yeah, term think, limits in government. Sure. That's right. And, and that's kind of government. But, but how would, all right, let's say that there were term limits for boards of trustees. Um, how does that relate to winning more football games? I just think you don't get, you don't get stale. You don't, you don't tend to look at things. You always, I mean, you got new blood and, and new ways and new, you know, uh, kind of a bring a new excitement. And I mean, I just know in, in, in government, it's easy to get stale and easy to kind of rest on your laurels and easy to say, well, I mean, this is the way we've always done things. Well, a new guy gets there. Well, I don't care if you always, it doesn't make any sense to do it that Why are we doing it that way now? I think Washington's is a victim of not enough new blood, not enough turnover. These people stay in government forever. They run these government agencies forever. And, and I, I just think, I mean, I think Clemson and Carolina both would probably be better off in having new, newer blood interchanging on, on the board. And it's nothing personal with me. Uh, some people out there take everything personal. Then none of this is, is personal with me, but, um, but, but you get a chance to kind of gig your, your arch rival. You know, they got this, um, th- this, this lifetime appointment um, th- that I'm not sure. And once again, I'm not sure it's not legal. I think the courts would decide yay or nay, and you'd probably have a Supreme Court decision, to be, to be honest with you. But, but I just, you know, if we, if we believe that governing a university is similar to governing a country or a state, and, and we want term limits, and we want fresh blood and new ideas, and we don't want the same people to stay there forever, I just think when you when you you put a fresh coat of paint on something and, and it thinks a little different, it operates a little different, it functions a little different. To me, it becomes more effective. 
and it's more countable. And that's just, you know, that that's that's my opinion. I'm not saying, you know, the board at South Carolina is the problem. The board at Clemson is the problem. The board at Alabama is the problem. But but I think I think having new blood and new energy and new ideas holds people more accountable. And universities are big old, big old albatrosses. I mean, you know, they um we're talking about elite universities. Um all universities, in my humble opinion, are easily bloated. Um, I mean, I'll give credit where credit's due. I think we're fortunate in Florence to have maybe the best college president in our state. I mean, I really believe that. But I think one of the things Dr. Fred Carter has done is not accept the status quo, not accept things as, hey, they got to be this way. They've always been this way. We'll never do it another way. I think universities that think outside of the box, that that create energy, with, with I mean the, the partnerships with with the cities and counties and and state governments, it keeps people on their toes. It keeps people you know thinking fresh ideas and new ideas. And and I think the worst thing in government is to have people who have been there forever and just continue to do things the way we've always um, done things. Well, I mean, what's the definition of insanity to keep doing the same thing and expect um, different results? Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our uh, is our number and and i think universities are extension of government i mean of course they are they're publicly funded i mean walford and Furman would be different i mean they're private institutions obviously they have kind of a firewall they still get some assistance from the state i mean when you think i love these people that say well walford and Furman have nothing to do with the government uh okay um where is all the student debt issued from how many kids at walford and Furman? or receiving financial aid or student debt or taking on student debt. I mean, that's government. I mean, it's not government backstopped anymore. It's government issued, issued debt. Um, so to suggest that some of these private universities don't have to do what the government says do because they're private, they're not publicly funded, you're still being, I mean, the majority, I say the majority, some of your students receive, you know, loans secured by, or not secured by, but issued by uh, the taxpayer. It, it, it does concern me how radical, and, and maybe liberals don't believe it's radical, but it seems to me that these elite universities are becoming more and more radical. Now, now if you're a conservative, they are radical. If you're a liberal, you're like, no, they're just enlightened. They're woke. They're, they're aware. They're more, they're, they're, they're more intellectual. They're, they're, they've got a grasp of the issues and the concerns facing America. But I didn't see a march. I didn't see a pro-Palestinian march in, at the University of Nebraska or at Texas A&M or LSU. It seems the majority of these have been in these elite universities, and you do wonder. And not only marches, what, what really blew my mind is there seemed to be official statements that came from these universities that seemed to show support for certainly Palestine and maybe even they weren't coming out against the terroristic actions of that organization. So, so how do you distinct? There's no way. I mean, if I'm president of a university and there's some organization affiliated with my university and they want to issue a pro-Palestine statement, okay, but you're going to condemn Hamas. I mean, you know, we can do a, you can, you can support Palestine, but we're going to, or the Palestinians, but we're going to condemn Hamas or this statement doesn't leave uh, you know, our letterhead, our, you remember Bill Ackman? I mean, Ackman's the, um, the guy that runs Pershing Capital. 
one of the I don't know, most influential hedge fund managers in America today, might be the most influential hedge fund manager, said he got a letter from a bunch of CEOs. That's a lot that said, um, <laughs> that said, you know, I want to know if these organizations are guilty of what we're told they're guilty of. And if so, I'm telling my, you know, human resource department to not hire any of these people under any condition or circumstance. I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of retribution. Excuse me. That's, um, that's kind of revenge to be honest, but, um, but, but the the majority of these schools have gained a, a certain degree of notoriety and acclaim that I'm not sure they deserve. I believe there was a day and I, and I mean this, I believe there was a day the best and brightest went to Harvard or the best and brightest went to Yale or the best and brightest went to Stanford or, or the, ah, Stanford's probably a bad example. And, and the main reason is Stanford has been a part of the creativity of Silicon Valley. And there's been great, great innovation, invention, prosperity, wealth created, not so much in these Northeast liberal schools. It, but but I, I just think their value is overstated. I don't believe the kids that go there now are, are that much brighter than the kids at Clemson or Carolina. I don't believe the kids that go there now. I believe that one day, I mean, if you were supremely talented and you were intellectually superior, you 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 were drawn to Harvard and Yale and and you know Princeton and Columbia and Brown, these Ivy League schools. I just think we've got so so many grandkids and great grandkids. The grandfather went because he was smarter and harder working and more persevering but all of a sudden the, the you know do you really believe the great great grandkid of a billionaire is that driven and that intellectual but but you know we got these legacy kids that go to these universities and and I just don't I just think the um the effect they have on our nation today I think we can genuinely say is far less positive than it was when it was a meritocracy when people genuinely went to those schools because they were smarter and more equipped than our kids on average. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays, but this is a very different Monday through Friday for Wake Up Carolina. To get your political fix, you got about 20, I got a, uh, 15 minutes today and a four-hour show tomorrow, and then it's off to McLeod as we dedicate three days in October every single year to the Children's Miracle Network with a radio partner. Rev and I will be on location in McLeod, or at the campus of McLeod. Where are we setting up? We'll be at the concourse area okay. right in front of the cafeteria, which is our normal spot for setup. We've been there well, several years now, with the exception of a couple of years around COVID. Yeah, I'm uh, scared we, of COVID. We did it in the studio. Everybody uh, was scared to death of COVID. That's true. Yeah. So uh, in 20 and 21, we we still did our radiothon, and, and listeners stepped up and helped. Uh, may, raise money for the children's hospital there at McLeod. And, and of course, last year we were back on location this year again. So starting Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday mornings, this show will be live from McLeod. And we'll be asking for your help. So we, like you said, we'll not be uh, talking our normal politics, but we'll be telling the stories of the miracle kids that are helped by McLeod. We'll have guests, and it will be uh, the, the mission will be to raise money for McLeod Children's Hospital. You know, when I was thinking about this, I mean, I, I knew we would do the politics today and tomorrow, and then we'll Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, I mean, our, our Gamecocks lost a heartbreaker. And you scratch your head, and you yell profanities, and you move on. 
But at the end of the day, look look at what we move on to. And, and I just think we got to remind ourselves every now and then. I mean, as, as, as caught up in the moment I get about my damn safety covered a slot receiver and why, 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 <laughs> I go home to a very peaceful place and, and a very safe place by and large. And, and I can't help but think about the families in, uh, you know, the Palestinian families, the Jewish families who are living uh, unbelievably uncertain times right now. And, and it kind of reminds me, I mean, I know it's cliched and, and, and a bit nostalgic to say, you know, pay attention to the blessings we have. Um, but, but we do. I mean, we, we absolutely do. When I left Williams Bryce Saturday, um, down and discouraged about, wow, you let that one get away and that's hard to accept, but, but I still got in a car with gas. Uh, you know, I went to a home where I'm safe and I'm taken care of and there's food in the pantry. And I just think when you see examples of what's happening in, uh, along the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, and, and Israel in particular, the least of their concerns is a safety cover and a, a slot receiver. And it's the biggest concern in my world until about noon Sunday. Wow, how <laughs> fortunate and blessed I am. And I think every now and then we need to remind ourselves how blessed and fortunate we are um, to be a part of the greatest governance experiment in the history of mankind. Uh, Warren Buffett said he won the ovarian lottery. I tend to second the motion uh, that Warren Buffett makes. And I think the least we can do as community broadcasters is support the community. And, you know, th- there are kids that will need medical assistance, medical aid. Um, I hope, I'll say it tomorrow at some point in time, I wish we didn't need a children's hospital. I mean, I wish every kid was born vibrant and healthy and and in perfect condition, but the truth is they aren't. I mean, I wish there was never a seven-year-old who got in a bike accident or a four-wheeler accident. Uh, I wish nothing like that ever happened, but it does. And I think to some degree we all have a responsibility, and I think we've agreed to this. We have varying opinions on how to make the world a better place, but uh, one of the things that we've done here and one of the partnerships we formed and forged is with McLeod Children's Hospital to try and make sure they've got what they need when that unexpected happens to a child. And you don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, but it's a much bigger deal than a safety getting beat by a slot receiver, whether he should be in coverage or not. So yeah, if you got your political fix and you need to get it done with, you got a few more minutes today and all morning tomorrow, and then it's Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday supporting and trying to raise money for the Children's Miracle, um, well, it's the Children's Miracle Network on behalf of the Children's Hospital at McLeod Health. And there is actually an event tomorrow that we are somewhat participating in to participate and to basically begin our efforts this week, and it's a jail-a-thon. Now, Mudflap and Palmer from our sister station will be out at the uh, Krispy Kreme on Palmetto uh, tomorrow morning in Florence, and we'll have some local community leaders that will be there in jail uh, raising money to get out of jail. You know how that works. And, again, all the proceeds from that will go to the Children's Hospital McLeod through the Children's Miracle Network. And so that is tomorrow from 6 to 10 a.m. We'll just let you know that they will be on site. We'll talk about it a little bit tomorrow, and hopefully we'll get Mudflat and Palmer to give us a call and get on the air with us during uh, their jail-a-thon tomorrow. Well, explain. That's Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. We have uh, Rujan in Darlington. Good morning, Rujan. Good morning, guys. 
Hey, listen, I got back. I I I got back from Pittsburgh. I was telling Josh, uh, you know, and and I really I really missed you guys because we left at about three o'clock on Friday morning, and I missed I missed everything of the broadcast. But listen, guys, you know, one thing you know, you guys know that I've been involved with with Toys for Tots, but but listen, you know, I want everybody. I want to challenge everybody out there before the before the uh, the radiothon to come out and donate and make sure. I I, I, I was involved with Toys for Tots giving toys, but there's something more that 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 uh, you know children need, and that's good health. So just support the McLeod Radiothon to raise money, you know, to 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 you know have good health for our kids. You know, just 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 go all out and. Go over and above, you know, the 120,000. Let's make it 220,000 this year. I'm going to do my part, and I want everybody out there that's listening to my voice to do their part and and show that the the, the PD and Sumter and Orangeburg really love our children. So let's let's that's our goal: 220,000 dollars this year. All right. Thank you, Rujan. Well, that's a ringing endorsement. Yeah, we were just over. It was $120,054, I think, was our total from last year. And obviously, we want to do better. No question. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Daphne in Dillon. Good morning, Daphne. You're on. Good morning, guys. Uh, I wanted to say that in Palestine, they teach their children from day one to hate and kill Jews, if at all possible. They installed Hamas, the terrorist group, as the government. You look at our children now that were out on the streets on the weekend, and those children have been indoctrinated in our schools. They participated in 584 riots in 2020. We've allowed that to happen. We've allowed domestic terrorists such as Bill Ayers to teach in uh, universities like Columbia. Uh, All these leftists that have infiltrated our country and the ones that think they're going to be exempt from these radicals when they get all crazy are mistaken. The Tesla guy, the one that was driving his Tesla, in Chicago, where a street, a whole road, had been taken over, was beaten. He had to run. His car was destroyed. So those who think they can get on the bandwagon and it'll make a difference are delusional. Thank you, Daphne. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. Back in just a few with our last few of the day, including a trivia question. Takes Mondays to make Fridays means trivia thanks to our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. First correct answer wins a six-pack of Pepsi product. couple of Takes Mondays to make Fridays t-shirts. Reminder, tomorrow politics, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Children's Miracle Network. Here's the question. You ready? There are four college football programs that currently have over 40 players on NFL rosters. Give me one of the four schools that currently have over 40 
NFL roster slots uh, representing their university. 843-661-0937 is our number. 843-661-0937. First answer wins a six-pack of Pepsi product and a couple of Takes Mondays to make Friday's T-shirt, courtesy of our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. Hi, you are on the air. Do you know the answer? USA, the California. Uh, nope, not one. Nope. Four Good. schools have over 40 of their former players on NFL rosters. Which Name one of the four. Hi, you are on the air. What's your answer? Georgia Bulldogs. You're right. Georgia has 46. Um, who is this? Where are you calling from? This is Jason calling from Florida. Okay, Jason, sit tight. I'll get you back to um, – I'll get you back to Josh. You'll get all your information. Alabama has 57. That would have been my guess. Ohio State has 47. Georgia, 46. LSU, 30. Excuse me, 43. So those are the four. Kind of interesting. Uh, Michigan has 38. Clemson and Notre Dame have 37. The Florida Gators have 34. But um, four teams have north of 40. LSU, Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama Hmm. has nearly 60. I think everybody in the NFL has a Alabama quarterback on their on their roster. Uh, you wonder how they've been, uh, what they've been. Thanks to our listener. Thanks to our caller. Got about a minute here, and um, it's. I want to thank Pepsi of Florence. I mean, that necessarily probably won't have time to do a trivia question on Friday. So this will be a takes Mondays to make next Monday uh, trivia week. <laughs> there you go. But we're going to spend um, the line share of Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday trying to raise money for the Children's Hospital at McLeod Health. We'll be on the campus there. Love you to come by and see us. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, we're, we're kind of the concourse area. Uh, Mudflap and Palmer, our country music dudes, will be on one end. We'll be on the other end. Uh, none of this works if it's not for you. You folks have historically and habitually stepped up and helped us have successful um, radiothons. Uh, this is no different, certainly, depending and, uh, and calling on you to, you know, kind of reach out and in your most generous way um, help the McLeod Children's Hospital care for kids who find themselves in places they wish they weren't. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.